This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. Hey, so how's it going? Um, Christmas is in two days and two hours and 23 minutes. So, Which I think that you have something you need to do for everybody. I do. <laughs> vamp for me. Oh, vamp, vamp. Um, so the other day I was walking my dog. That's a lie. I don't walk. Winston just runs around the backyard and then barks. Wait. That's all we can play legally. So. <laughs> I don't think we can even actually legally play that much, but please nobody we can. sue us. We can play six seconds. <laughs> can play six seconds of a song. Duly noted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so sounds like you're good then. Um, I have made all the cookies, but somehow need to make more. I have wrapped every present in this house um, except... For the ones that aren't here yet, which are two. One is supposed to be here tomorrow. One says it's going to be delivered. Well, first it said the 25th for like four days, which no one's delivering on Christmas. Come on. And then today it updated to the 24th. So I'm really hoping, and it was in Houston today. So I'm really hoping that it's going to be here tomorrow. Oh, yeah. They meant January 25th. They didn't, and it's my sister's present. I'm very excited about it. She doesn't listen to this podcast, so I'll tell you. I got her and her wife a subscription to Universal Yums. Oh, that's fun. Which, if you want to advertise on this podcast, you can, but um, I'm not going to do it for you, but it's a really cool subscription box, so I'm excited for them. That's awesome. Yeah. So I had the first one delivered to me so I could wrap it and give it to them. Right. Um, question. I'm putting you on the spot here. What's oh, the worst Christmas gift you've ever received? Oh. I don't know. I mean, I think the worst Christmas, and it wasn't a gift. Like, so when I was a kid, we used to get like gifts from Everyone on my dad's side of the family would bring us gifts, you know, for Christmas. Well, then the year I turned 13, all my cousins who were younger than me kept getting gifts and they stopped giving me presents and nobody told me that that was going to happen. Oh, no. Uh, They owe you some presents. I I demand back presents for you. That was painful. That was painful watching everyone else open gifts when I didn't have any. That's probably the worst. I think it wasn't gifts. It was like the lack of gifts. So it makes me sound like a selfish monster. Oh really well, not. I'm about to. This is going to sound awful, and I know my little brother listens. Oh, I can one up your awful if you need me to. If I, mean, I know my little brother listens, and if he tells our mother that I told this story, um, nobody will find the body. So just know, Seth, if you're out there. That it's been recorded. Um, in any case. Um, it's been recorded. So Paul will go to jail. Oh, I don't care. It'll be worth it. Even if they don't find your body. It'll be okay, worth so. it. Um, 
So my mom one year made all of us overnight bags and like Sarah's has like sunflowers on it and sunflowers are her favorite flower, which is super sweet. And my brother does, my big brother does um, jujitsu and his was like a bunch of like jujitsu terms and stuff. And um, my little brother's was I think camo and my, his wife's was uh, Dallas Cowboy stuff. And it was all personalized and wonderful and then mine was just like primary color music notes and like a keyboard. It's the most ostentatious, ugly, unattractive material ever made. But because I'm a musician, that that it suited me, right? And I'm like, they're literally a musician's the last thing I am. Like you could have given me something that was art inspired or like books or like, no, we went with, we went with ugly music. Great. Thanks. And so okay, I feel well, bad because she put so much like effort into it. And it's just so ugly. I remembered a gift that I've received okay. and I can now top this. And this isn't even a snarky story about my mother. So you're welcome. Um, my dad's, youngest stepsister after I stopped receiving gifts at 18 or at 13 when I turned 18 that Christmas she gave me a used book about how to pray for a husband no (laughs) do you still have it because I think that's a family tradition and you have to pass it down I think I I think it's somewhere in my parents' house, honestly. I really do. It was like a workbook on how to pray for a husband and like um, how to change your behavior so you are attractive to a man. Yes. I was 18. If if you can. Now, this particular aunt and one of my other aunts started asking me when I was going to get married when I was the ripe old age of 16. So I guess it wasn't too far off. Right. You were an old maid and they were just worried about your eternal soul. Um, they could only see me now. I, I just, I would have loved, loved if you told me you passed that on to your sister, who, as you mentioned, is married to a woman. I just would have <laughs> loved that. <laughs> No, but I I know she like I know I shared the crazy with her when I got it. Oh, good. We definitely sat over it and laughed. So she's seen it. <laughs> um, yeah, that was. Yep. I the worst though was a few years ago. I think it was like five years ago at Thanksgiving. So I always get grilled about when I'm getting married. By everyone. Everyone wants to know. I'm like, I'm almost 40. I, I Like, I'm really not planning on it at this point. So please stop asking me. But um, the worst was about five years ago, somebody asked me and my own child pops uh, up and says, yeah, mom, why aren't you married? Uh-uh. That's, that's when you pull a Phoebe Buffet. Like, you know what? You don't have a home anymore. Get out. <laughs> when you pull a Phoebe Buffet and you say, yeah, I would, but I just don't want to. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's about right. Um, Oh, hey, welcome to Lifetime Sentence. Yeah. I'm Santa Paul. I'm still just Aaron. (laughs) Extra festive. Mm -hmm. And extra festive. This week, for your listening pleasure, we watched 
Lifetime Christmas movies and wrote um, an entire musical number to review them. So Aaron's going to go first. What? Is that not what we agreed on? Let me let me uh, open my text. That's what we agreed on, but if you wrote that, then um, I'm absolutely looking forward to yours after <laughs> I see my recap. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and rush through this so we can get to your song. <laughs> Hold on. Okay. Okay, I can make this work. <laughs> All right. This week, I watched for the second time because I watched it the night it premiered. <laughs> the Christmas Setup. It is the first Lifetime movie with an A lead couple that are a same sex couple. I was so excited when they announced this. So Hallmark had one as well, but the lead couple was the B lead couple. They were not the A lead couple. Right. Um, but also that movie, um, The Christmas House, was so good. I loved Jonathan Bennett. It was good. Watch it. it was precious. And I I loved their relationship in that movie. Like Jonathan Bennett and his the guy who played his husband. Like I loved that, that movie relationship. I thought it was very sweet. So it was a great great first try for a homework and i was very impressed i also loved the way they represented the relationship between the brothers mm-hmm. and that there was it there was just love and acceptance like hallmark did a very tasteful job with that and we get that here too which i really appreciate good i but i mean lifetime they made a couple of things that made me go but well i mean we'll talk about it okay so this movie stars Ben Lewis. He plays Hugo. Um, he is from Arrow. Okay. Um, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Is Arrow the show on Netflix that it's always just a real hot guy on the cover? I think it's the CW, isn't it? I Well, I mean, I only watch things on Netflix. Like, Oh, well, I think it might be on Netflix. I don't know. Let me see. The thumbnail Arrow. just. Yeah. Yes, it's always just like a hot guy on the cover. Yeah, I always try to call that show Archer, but I know Archer's the animated show. No. Okay. He's not that guy. He's in the show. Right. He's not that guy. I was just okay. placing the but actual he is show. Adorable. And I love him. He's also in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, The Handmaid's Tale, and Rain. Okay. So pretty good stuff, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Blake Lee, he plays Patrick. He was he was in Parks and Rec. Really? Mm-hmm. Who was he? Derek. Okay. Yeah. You know, I watched that during quarantine, so that's still pretty fresh in my mind. He was also in Mixology, which was a pretty good show. Um, probably not something you've seen. It was uh-uh. a little bit more of like cult, culty, cult, not cult movie, but like culty favorite right um and then a show called fam which i think came out last year on cbs and i'm not sure if it got picked up again or not um and then we have the queen the one the only fran drescher no for real yeah that just made my heart so happy she plays herself because how dare you (laughs) ask her to be anyone else right um, her name is actually Kate in the movie, but I do not call her that. So. Right. <laughs> um, 
because I would never disrespect her in that way. Um, you will know her from The Nanny or The Beautician and the Beast. And if you don't know her from either of those things, you don't deserve to know her. Moving on. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Looking at you, Anna. Oh, my God. <laughs> Who's that? Oh my God. I, I didn't realize that that conversation stemmed from her being in this movie. It did. Gotcha. <laughs> Um, and then finally, we have Ellen Wong. She plays Maddie. She was also in Scott Pilgrim versus the World, um, the show Glow on Netflix. Okay. Dark Matter. Okay. And The Carrie Diaries. I watched a few episodes of that. It was actually cute. She is very cute. I thought she, she should be in more stuff because she's adorable. Um. So we open on Hugo. He's in his big high-rise office talking to his BFF, Maddie, about the big promotion he's going to go try and get from his boss. Okay. She tells him he's going to do great, and she'll meet him on the corner with hot chocolate afterwards. Hugo goes to talk to his boss about the partnership that he's interviewed for three times. Okay. And he's like, look, I worked last Christmas Eve. And he's like, yeah, we appreciate that. And, you know, we're glad you're taking off this year. Like, I, you know, balance, blah, blah. Um, and then his boss is like, well, we're just not sure you're ready yet for a partnership. No, bitch. So Hugo does the only logical thing. He says if they can't give him the partnership, he's going to look for um, a position at another firm. And I, then he's like, hey. I would do the same. Uh, so I'm. On Christmas, I turned on my out-of-office. Bye. Yep, good for him. So he leaves the office and immediately starts freaking out for saying something. Also same. He's so stupid. Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, I, I feel that. Um, he goes to meet Maddie, who gives him an empty cup of hot chocolate and a pep talk. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a commentary on the props that they use, not the actual – she didn't actually give him a hot, oh, right. an empty hot chocolate – it's just empty. Like, you can tell it's an empty cup. That's so funny. When the physics are all wrong. a little wrong. bit of water at the bottom. Right. You know? Like, bad. Like, oh, it's bad. Um, well, that's like, um, I know you didn't watch Gilmore Girls, but they know, like, they noticed that empty cups look like empty cups. And Alexis mm-hmm. Bledel hated coffee, so they would put Diet Coke in her mug so that there would always be something that was dark brown and liquid. Well, the best thing is that this year, Hallmark, they have moved away from the empty mug, except it's still empty. It just looks like there's whipped cream on top. (laughs) So it looks like the cup should be spilling about every second scene. Right. But it's not because magic. So that's where we're at. (laughs) Duly noted. Uh that's where we're at in the hot chocolate situation. <laughs> I've been worried about it this year. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you have. Um, so Maddie gives him a pep talk and she's like, we're going to go ice skating. It's going to be so much fun. It's the best way to meet someone because you can just fall into them. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go- I'm picturing my big self trying to fall into somebody <laughs> And I'm a projectile. Nobody wants that. Well, Hugo reminds Maddie that last year it was the best way for her to end up in urgent care. Okay, good. I'm glad Hugo has a brain. She brushes that off because the doctor who treated her was pretty hot. Well, there you go. (laughs) She met someone. 
Then she tells Hugo that she's decided not to go to the Bahamas with her family like they do for every Christmas this year. She's going to stay in New York for a nice, quiet city Christmas. I just want one of these characters in a Lifetime or Hallmark movie to have a reasonable, sensible income and their family to have a reasonable, sensible income. I don't want the Cinderella story where they came from nothing and got yeah, rich. I think it's a third grade teacher. So first of all, how dare you? Right. But if they go to the Bahamas every year, mama and daddy have some pennies they're putting out. I mean, the Bahamas is not that expensive. I've been. Okay. As a, as a full-time teacher, I can tell you exactly how many times I can afford to go to the Bahamas before Sarah it's finished med school. You might think. Um... Hugo suggests that Maddie come back to Milwaukee for Christmas with his family. Don't go to Milwaukee. Listen, we've said that two years ago next week. So they call Hugo's mom Fran Drescher. She's not on speakerphone, but you can hear her. (laughs) Hugo tells her that Maddie is going to come home with him for Christmas. And you just hear Fran scream. Um... Then it cuts to them arriving, and she runs out the door and says, Hugo, you look so skinny. She makes him pancakes in the shape of cookie cutters. Oh. They're so cute. Hugo asks after his brother, who's off with the military, he'll be home later that week. Put a pin in that. Um, Fran remarks about how quiet the house has been since Hugo's father died, and then points them to the calendar for the Christmas festival. It's her last year planning it as the head of the neighborhood. And surprise, she's assigned all of them jobs to do for the whole festival. I watched this movie on Hallmark this year, and it was about two competing Christmas inns. So, Lifetime, did you collude, or are there just only three storylines? You did not watch this movie on Hallmark. I promise. And it's not about two competing Christmas ends. <laughs> Just give it a minute. Just give it a minute. Um, so Hugo and Maddie get settled in and Fran whisks Maddie off to do some shopping and tells Hugo to wait for the Christmas tree delivery man. Okay. The spark in your eye tells me he's delivering a lot more than just a Christmas tree. So Hugo's fixing some things in the living room when the delivery guy pulls up. Hugo looks out the window and says, Patrick Ryan, which means nothing to me, but apparently it means a lot to Hugo. (laughs) He runs down the stairs, but misses one and falls the rest of the way down, getting to the front door. Just like just like colliding in an uh, ice skating rink. Patrick is there with the biggest and heaviest tree on the lot. Hugo helps him move it inside. Patrick tells Hugo he's not sure if he remembers Patrick, but Patrick was a few years ahead of him in high school. Hugo pretends not to remember him and then decides, oh, and then they decide to stop holding the tree and put it in the stands. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> so they're just standing there having this conversation, like holding a tree. It's great. Um So Hugo is down under the tree trying to get it in the stand while Patrick asks him what he's been up to since high school. And Hugo leans out of the tree and he yells, straight? Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. And Patrick says, excuse me? And Hugo says, the tree, is it straight? Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. 
there is more than one of these jokes in here. <laughs> oh, lifetime. Um, um, then, so, then Hugo tips him, which will also come back. Um, and Patrick compliments Hugo's tool belts, and then he leaves. I'm, I'm going to hope that that is not an innuendo, but it is lifetime. So, okay, Hugo tips Patrick, and Patrick is like, I can't take this, like, we do this for charity, da 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 and he's like, no, no, I insist, like, take it, and he's like, okay, and it comes back in a way that it would come back on me, I'm telling you. Great. Um, I meant so, the tool belt comment, but... Oh, yeah, well, that was probably in a new window. Um... Fran and Maddie come back and exclaim over the tree. Fran asks who brought it over. And Hugo's like, oh, some guy named Patrick. And Fran's like, well, he left his dirty gloves on my couch. So go take them back. (laughs) As soon as she's out of the room, though, Hugo is gushing to Maddie about Patrick. They look him up in the yearbook. And Hugo talks about what a dork he was around Patrick. Maddie says now they have to go take Patrick back his gloves because his hands are cold. Fair enough. On the way, they pass the old train station where the big Christmas Eve celebration is every year. Hugo tells Maddie the story of the man who built the train station, Mr. Carroll, and basically the whole town. And how every year everyone goes to the train station, writes their wishes, and sends them on the last train out on Christmas Eve. Mr. Carroll started the tradition in 1920. As they walk around, though, they find that the train station is going to be demolished and a boring modern kiosk is going to be built in its place. Oh. Patrick has no time to be upset, though, because they have to go see a man about some gloves. Patrick thanks Hugo for the gloves. Oh, sorry. Hugo has no time to be upset. And Patrick thanks Hugo for the gloves and mentions that he sometimes forgets things when he's distracted. But then he gets all flustered and he can't finish his sentence. Hugo introduces Patrick to Maddie, who starts talking about how she and Hugo never get to go on vacation, etc. Um, Hugo asks Patrick more about himself. And he's like, oh, yeah, so I made this super popular app that is all the rage with the kids. And then I sold it and moved back to Milwaukee. And now I use the money that I made from my big, fat, famous app to support the town. TikTok. It's TikTok. He made TikTok. As they leave, Hugo says, I can't believe I tipped him. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) So the app is basically like a a magic eight ball based on like algorithms. I don't understand really. Okay. But it it, it comes up a lot. They just said a lot of words. They're like metadata, C++, Java. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um... So the next day, Fran's getting everything ready for Santa breakfast, and Hugo asks about the train station, and Fran goes off about everything she's done to stop them demolishing the train station, including getting arrested at a sit-in. Yes! And Hugo's like, Mom, you got arrested? And she's like, oh, just a little bit. (laughs) Hugo says he loves the train station, and... She's like, you go tell that to the schmucks downtown. (laughs) That's hilarious. So they keep setting up and surprise Patrick and his dad are there to drop off poinsettias. Patrick introduces Hugo to his dad 
and uh, Hugo's wife, Madeline. And everyone cracks up. Um, and then they proceed to have the most unbelievable conversation in this film. Oh, I can't wait. After Maddie explains that they are not married and are just very good friends, Fran says, quote, Oh, no, no. Gay, straight, single. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Um, and everyone's like, what? Um, and Maddie's like, oh, I'm straight. Hugo's gay. We're both single. And she's like, Patrick, you're single? And he's like, I'm single. And then the dad is like, sometimes it's so, er, sometimes being a straight guy is so exceptionally boring. And then Fran goes, that's me, Frank. What the fuck? is this so you heard it here first fran drescher is a single straight guy who's boring Mm. (laughs) so after that patrick asks hugo to help him unload the truck and he asks him out to the hot chocolate truck outside the tree lot later since you can afford to buy some empty cups if you know what i mean so hugo goes to meet him but patrick doesn't show up Hugo gets his hot chocolate and walks over to the train station where he runs into his friend Jimmy. They talk about how much it sucks that they're tearing the train station down and the likelihood that Fran Drescher will, in fact, chain herself to the building. Then Hugo walks back over to the tree lot. Patrick runs up and apologizes for being late and tries to convince Hugo to stick around for a few more minutes. But Hugo's like, no, um, I should go. And he leaves. The next day, he and Fran argue over Christmas lights, like you do. Like you do. Fran asks about her his date with Patrick, and he's like, look, Mom, like, I'm only home for two weeks. It's probably for the best that he didn't show up, and, like, we're not going to pursue this. Like, it's, you know, it, it wouldn't have worked anyway. Um, they uncover Hugo's dad's old woodworking bench, which is the thing that, like, Hugo used to do with his dad, right? That's, like, their thing. Right. Um, they're talking about the stuff they used to make when someone pulls up outside. Fran's like, oh, I wonder who that is. And she sticks her head out the door. She's like, oh, hi, Patrick. I ordered 13 more Christmas trees. (laughs) Yeah. He comes in to apologize to Hugo and ask him out again. It gets awkward really fast. So Fran is like, hey, while you're here, Hugo actually needs help with the Christmas lights. Um... So y'all go ahead and I'm going to leave y'all to that. Y'all figure it out. I'm going to go. Bye. Right. And I mean, this isn't awkward. This is, it's not, no, it's really a Christmas lights. He needs, he needs a Christmas light thing. It's a, it's a bye. So she leaves, she leaves the garage and we get another like really wonderful innuendo. Um, Hugo is like being awkward and weird and he's like, Oh, can you pass me those balls? (laughs) <laughs> and then he's like <gasps> I just can't um, so Patrick and Hugo are up on the roof putting up lights and talking about how nice Fran is um, they talk about Patrick's app and how Aubrey the sale went um, and Patrick mentions how much he dislikes lawyers Uh-oh. and Hugo's like um, actually, I'm a lawyer. And so they get into a fake fight and then accidentally knock the ladder off the roof. Oops. Oh, my God. Um, 
this, so they knock it off and they're, they're like, oh my gosh, Fran, Fran Drescher, come help us. And like she and Maddie are in the kitchen, like drinking hot chocolate. And they're like, they're fine. (laughs) (laughs) And this leads to a montage of wreath making and the Santa breakfast. Unfortunately, there's a huge problem. Jimmy, Hugo's friend, is having back problems, so he can't be Santa. Oh, no. So Fran begs and begs until Hugo agrees to be Santa. So Patrick and Maddie help him get fitted into the costume, which, of course, requires... Got to change pages. Uh, Of course, requires a lot of Patrick and Hugo touching each other. Right. Um, because when I transform Hugo into Santa, out. what I need is a hot guy to touch me several times. Mm-hmm. Hugo gives out presents and reads a story, which, of course, involves a lot of him and Patrick staring at each other. Afterwards, they're cleaning up and Patrick asks him out again. And they have a very confusing conversation about whether Hugo is saying yes or no. <laughs> but he's saying yes. So it's a date. Finally. Yay. So the next day, Hugo tries on clothes while Maddie judges him and laments about her own lack of a love life. Put a pin in that. Hugo goes to meet Patrick and can't find him again. But... What the hell is up with this guy? But it's just because Patrick set up a super romantic date for them in the Christmas tree lot in the middle of all the Christmas trees with lanterns and twinkle lights and candles, which are a fire hazard, but I'm going to let it slide, and homemade cookies and wine. Oh, and I think I figured out the problem with my love life. You don't have a Christmas tree lot? I'm a gay man. <laughs> um, Patrick talks about how it was fate that he dropped off the tree the day he did because it was supposed to be the day before. But Fran Drescher had something come up. And Hugo's like, um, no, that's not fate. That was my mom. She totally set us up. <laughs> um, they talk about their past. And Patrick talks about how far... Things have come in um, Milwaukee. Um, He talks about how a queer youth center just opened and how the local drag community is thriving. And it's a really awesome time to be living in Milwaukee. He's like, by the way, like if you ever wanted to move back, it's super cool here. Just saying. Okay. Um, Any of our listeners who live in Milwaukee, please let us know if this is a true statement. Is there a a thriving any kind of community in Milwaukee? No. After the date, Hugo goes home and spread, spends some time working in the wood shop. The next morning, Fran grills him about the date and then gives Hugo the key to the train station so they can start decorating. After they go check it out, they're hanging out at home and Hugo's brother comes home. He's been in the Air Force since the last time Maddie saw him. And well, I guess he's beefed up a little because she's a... Those flight really suits really do it. Yeah. And Maddie checks him out and he's like, She's like, oh, I haven't seen you since before you joined the Air Force. Mm." (laughs) (laughs) Um, After he leaves the room, Maddie's like, oh, my God, your brother's so hot. And he's like, oh, my God, gross. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Fran makes them eat and announces that they're going caroling later. And she's invited Patrick, even though Hugo just asked her not to meddle in his relationship anymore. (laughs) Well, he's not doing it right. So she has to take matters into her own hands. When it's time for caroling, she makes them all wear ridiculous hats. Hugo complains about how he doesn't want to sing while Maddie and Aiden flirt. Um, They're all out of tune, but they manage to get their shit together to sing. Even Hugo, after some cajoling from Patrick. But his phone rings with a call he has to take. It's his 
boss calling to congratulate him because he got the partnership. But he has to be willing to go wherever they send him. And the place they are sending him is London. What a horrible existence. I know. I would be like, it was nice to meet you, Patrick. Bye. (laughs) Also, like, Patrick, you're rich enough to just pack up and go. And if you don't like it, move back. Like, that's a thing. Hugo is stunned. And then Patrick drags him back to caroling. The next day, they're settling. They're setting up the train station, and Hugo tells Maddie about London, but he tells her not to tell anyone because he hasn't made a final decision. So she stands Father, on the top of the train tower and just yells it. Hmm. <laughs> While they're chatting, Patrick arrives with another Christmas tree. How many Christmas trees? <laughs> <laughs> Told you, Fran Drescher ordered seventeen. I saw that one from a distance. Oh my god! Hugo and Patrick decorate it while they're chatting. Um, and Patrick, no, I'm sorry. Hugo and Patrick decorate the tree while they talk about how Christmas is for the gays and even the trees are dressed in drag, which made me die laughing. <laughs> <laughs> because the only thing I can imagine conservative Christians being more upset about <laughs> other than how the gays stole the rainbows is how the gays stole, stole the Christmas, Christmas tree. <laughs> and it makes me so happy in my heart (laughs) that I think we should make it a thing. Oh, 100%. It's time for the gays to steal Christmas. (laughs) Oh, man. Dr. Seuss is so excited to write this posthumously. How the gays gays stole Christmas. Christmas. (laughs) Because you know how pissed they are about the rainbow? Right? Well, and I love love the idea of Christians getting pissed off that the gays took the Christmas tree since the Christians took the Christmas tree from the pagans. From the pagans, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, basically all white people, all white people culture is just cultural appropriation from other people. (laughs) We don't actually have culture, to be honest. I one day stumbled down white people tiktok it was a bunch of white people making fun of white people not having culture and horrible it was people like um you think white people don't have culture explain this and it was like salt and like mayonnaise (laughs) (laughs) okay i like low-key i will eat mayonnaise on a sandwich i like it it's not terrible but every once in a while i think about how it's made out of eggs and how unnatural that is and i have to really quickly like put it out of my mind <laughs> anyways i'm calling for the gays to steal christmas so. yes <laughs> okay um after they decorate patrick and hugo go upstairs to check out mr carroll's office but they can't get in so they just stand outside and talk about it Fran accidentally sends both Aiden and Maddie to pick up the wreaths for the party. Fran is like, I don't, I just need to have some grandkids. I don't care if it's because my son adopts them or because my son gets, I just need some grandkids. Hook me up kids. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's lonely. She wants her kids to move back to where she is. But Maddie's not from where she is. No, but, but if Maddie, her one son's best friend marries her other son, then her other son's going to be home more. That's true. They're still best friends. Um, come on now. 
You don't have the mind of a meddling mother. It really I, works I, I absolutely don't. Um, okay, so Hugo gets the key to Mr. Carroll's office, and he and Patrick go in to explore. They find a bunch of photos and talk about how Mr. Carroll had no family, and when he died, he left his entire estate to a D. Ashby, a person he traveled the world with and spent his Christmases with. Could Mr. Carroll be gay? I guess we'll never know. Oh, this is like when Sir Isaac Newton died a virgin, but he had a lifelong male companion that he lived. They were just roommates. <laughs> Hugo steals some of Mr. Carroll's old records because he's going to stop them from tearing down the train station. Patrick and Hugo almost kiss, but Patrick gets an alert from his phone from his app that he made. And so he's like, oh, my God, you have to come with me. So Patrick drives them out into the middle of fucking nowhere. And I'm like, oh, my God. This is about to be a a lifetime murder movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they get out and Patrick's like, "Okay, here's all these pillows. Let's sit in the bed of my truck. And they sit back there and he's like, why are we out here? And Patrick says, oh, we're going to see the northern lights. In Milwaukee? In Wisconsin. Can you... I mean, I haven't done research, but that feels like too far south. They talk about this, and Patrick says that sometimes they do come that far south, and he programmed... The way he programmed his algorithm or his app to, like, look at the odds of whether or not it would happen, and that's why it sent him an alert, because there was a 42% chance that it was going to happen. I hope that Hugo got played. I hope that there was... It's just three guys in a tree with a flashlight. No. So Hugo starts to complain about the cold, but then they see the northern lights in Wisconsin, which I'm sure is a thing. And then they kiss. (laughs) Back at home, Hugo works in the shop a little and then talks to Fran about Mr. Carroll's tax records. Um, Hugo mentions he may have been gay and Fran's like, cool. Um, let's get ready for trivia night. <laughs> oh, it's like, okay. If you live in a Northern state, such as Wisconsin or Pennsylvania, you can expect to see a couple Aurora Borealis shows each year. And then there's like a mathematic formula. So apparently it is a thing. You could put it in an app, I guess. Um, so it's trivia night and everyone is there. The winner gets the Franken trophy, and this is like a very serious game. Everything's going great. It's very festive and fun. We get another montage of everyone cheersing until the tiebreaker. The question is about what city Charles Dickens wrote the Christmas Carol in. Of course, the answer is London. Aiden wins and everyone's chattering until and while like Hugo's like, no, I don't believe that. Da, da, da. He's like, I'm going to Google it. And Maddie's like, yeah, London, where you're moving. I knew she was going to stand on that fucking railroad tower and tell everybody. So the mood comes down real quickly. Fran cries a little, but then she's like, you know what? As long as I'm invited to London next Christmas and we go shopping at Harrods and we have tea at the Savoy, I'll be fine. Well, there you go. As long Uh, as you have a plan. Patrick is also sad and not because he wants to go to Harrods. Um, Hugo (laughs) walks him out 
and apologizes for not saying anything. But Patrick says it's really great um, news and he's it's going to change Hugo's life. After he drives away, Maddie comes out to talk to him. She says that she doesn't think London is what's in Hugo's heart. Otherwise, he would have told everyone straight away. I um, agree with that. He, but Hugo says he's just super tired and he's going to bed. Um, Maddie and Aiden get stay up and share a glass of wine while they talk about Hugo. Fran and Hugo the next morning uh, talk about London. She tells him that he has to follow his heart no matter where it takes him. So he tells her he has Listen to go to and runs heart out of the house. When he's calling for you. So Hugo goes to the tree lot to talk to Patrick um, and says, like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't want to, like, leave things like they are. Like, I still want to see each other. So Patrick invites Hugo, Madeline, and Aiden to a party that his quote-unquote friends are having at a little pop-up lounge. Hugo gets a copy of the demolition permit in the meantime for the train station and finds that the train station was actually left to the neighborhood association, not the city. So they can't destroy a building that they don't own. And now they just need like a really good lawyer to make sure the paperwork all gets sorted because the deeds weren't filed properly. Okay. Um, Fran is like, oh, but Hugo, you're a good lawyer. And he's like, but I'm not licensed in Wisconsin. And she's like, actually, um, you are because I called the Bar Association once to check because I wanted you to move home. And Wisconsin has reciprocity with New York. So you can practice law here. (laughs) She's like, just (laughs) FYI. (laughs) I'm not meddling. I'm just saying. (laughs) Um, So that night... Oh, wait. Okay, so that that night they go to the Little Lounge, which is a Christmas-themed pop-up bar. And they had one of these last year where I live. Uh And I never thought I'd be so depressed that I didn't make it. Because I was like, oh, I'll just go next year. (laughs) Oh. Um, So, Patrick and... Oh, okay. Patrick greets them, but none of his friends seem to be there. He was like, oh, my friends are having a party. Unless you're just friends with the gay community of Milwaukee. Maybe that's what he meant. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Either way, it doesn't matter. He's independently wealthy. So uh, Patrick and Hugo talk about how much they like each other. And Patrick says he wishes Hugo wasn't moving away. There's a little drag show and open mic night. And they all yell for Hugo to go up and sing. And he gets up and sings, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Everyone- Our song. Yeah. Just because all of these movies, their song is some stupid Christmas song. Everyone cheers when he sings Make the Yuletide Gay. <laughs> I'm in love I mean, with this movie. Lifetime, like really drove it home. They were like, this movie is gay. <laughs> <laughs> the original script was just titled Gay Christmas for Gays. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but near the end of... Hugo's song, Patrick is super upset and he runs out of the bar. Hugo finishes his song and then runs after him. Patrick says he can't do this anymore and he doesn't think they should see each other. No. He wishes good luck in London and tells him Merry Christmas. Also, there's just a huge bouncer standing outside the door even though there's no line and the street is empty, but the best part is the huge bouncer is wearing like foam antler. Yes! It's like the most random thing ever. 
there's like this romantic scene and it's like this guy like a hundred feet behind them like just standing arms crossed angrily glowering yes okay um the next morning, Hugo, Aiden, and Maddie are setting up the wooden Christmas village as a surprise for friends. So it's a replica of their neighborhood that um, Hugo and his dad had been working on, but then his dad died. Gotcha. Okay. And so he finished it and set it up in like the train station. Oh. Uh, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's really cool. So Maddie tells Hugo that she's staying on in Milwaukee through New Year's because she's going to stay with Aiden. Oh, of course she is. Yeah. And Hugo admits that he's having second thoughts about moving to London. He goes upstairs to put away all of Mr. Carroll's old stuff. At, like, this is where this movie got me, like, right in the feels. Okay. Right in the feels. Mine got me right in the feels. I teared up at one part. He's putting away all this, this stuff, and a photo slips out of one of the folders. Hugo bends down to pick it up, and on the back it says, quote, To my darling Ashby, on your favorite day of the year, love always, your Edgar. Hugo turns the photo back over, and it's the same picture that he and Patrick were looking at earlier, but when he looks very closely, you can see that Mr. Carroll and Mr. Ashby are touching pinkies. Oh. Like, in the picture. Oh. And I lost it. Both times I watched this movie, I knew it was coming, and I balled my eyes. Oh, that's beautiful. So sweet. I'm going to cry again. Okay, so Fran gives Hugo his dad's old woodworking tools and tells him that she wants him to carry on the tradition. It's finally the Christmas Eve party. They show Fran the surprise village and she's super happy. And so everyone in the neighborhood is there and they're all picking out their houses because it's a whole replica of their neighborhood. So it has everybody's Oh, house on that's it. so sweet. Um, he, uh, so Hugo gives his brother to talk about hurting his best friend and asks if the long distance freaks Aiden out. And Aiden's like, no, man, like, I'm not even a little bit like, I just want to be with her. So just then the door opens and it's Patrick's dad by himself. Mm. Fran gets up to give her speech about the train station and then pulls Hugo up to talk about how much it means to him. As he's talking about Mr. Carroll, Patrick walks in. Hugo looks at him and says he's genuinely excited about the future and this is where his heart is. He's home. Oh. He tells Patrick that he really means that and then takes him upstairs to show him um, the photo. They talk about how, mis- how much Mr. Carroll and Mr. Ashby must have gone through like in their lifetime not being able to be together for real. And I cried again. Oh, um, and he said, uh, Hugo says that love is worth fighting for. And then they both want to make it work downstairs. All the kids are working on their Santa wish list. Fran even brings both Patrick and Hugo a wish to make. Patrick says he doesn't have to ask Santa for anything. I'm guessing Hugo is asking for a job. I would guess. Yeah, um, everyone looks outside and it's snowing. The train is coming. Everyone puts their wishes on the train. Patrick and Hugo stand outside in the snow and tell each other Merry Christmas. For some reason, everyone at the party is watching them and not the Christmas train. Right. Um, They hold hands for real. Like there's a picture, like it's very close up of them, like actually holding hands because they can. Um, 
and Fran goes to take a photo. They kiss. I guess it's a good thing Patrick's independently wealthy. The end. Yay! I'm going to have to watch that. They gave me a lot of feels just listening to it. It was so good. I loved it, despite like some of the little, like, okay, lifetime, come on. <laughs> straight? <laughs> Gay, straight, single. That's how I'm going to refer to everyone I know from now on. Gay, straight, single. Do you watch One Day at a Time? No. One of my favorite episodes is um, the older daughter. Um, the older daughter is gay and she joins the GSA at, in their little community. And um, she has them all over because they're about to do a protest. And she's introducing all of her friends to her family. And she's like... This is, you know, blah, 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 pronouns she, her, and this is blah, blah, pronouns they, them. And so um, <laughs> the grandmother um, who immigrated from Cuba, she says, my name is Lydia, pronounced Lydia. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. You know, like... I- I understand why they're making like the establishing scene because this is so new. Right. I hope in the future it's just like an organic story where two people fall in love and it doesn't have to be like, oh, are you straight? What are your pronouns? Are you gay? Right. Like, uh, are you bi? Like, you know, it, it should it should just be a love story. Right. Although I understand why they did it. I was like, okay, it's a little heavy handed, you know. Right. But I guess they were having to set a precedent like – well, and they have to do – I mean, I have to understand that not – I guess not everybody in their target audience demographic is – Is us. Who would, who, yeah, who would know. Right. I get – I don't know. I get it, but I also – I was like, okay, like, just just make a love story. Right. I don't care who it is. If two people fall in love, I'm happy. Right. Um, there is a book coming out that I got the arc for called Perfect on Paper – that comes mm-hmm. out in early of next year. I feel like it's March, but um, it is so good. And it's about a girl who is bisexual and she spent, she has spent most of her life in love with this one girl, but then she starts to develop feelings for a boy and mm-hmm. understanding like how your sexual identity works through all that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so well done. This is my like wholehearted recommendation. And the author is just delightful. I've been talking I with feel her. Like something is- it's very underexplored. So yes. That's, I mean, it's good. I'm reading the new Taylor Jenkins Reid arc. Is it right good? Because I love me it some Taylor Jenkins Reid. So good. Highly recommend. It's called okay. Malibu Rising. It comes out in April. It's so good. All right. Uh, yeah. Sorry. We went down Literary Corner, and now I am back for my movie <laughs> this week. Um, so if you are a member of our Patreon... This write-up will explain to you why I chose this movie. And so, Aaron, you will get why I chose this movie. And if you're not a member of Patreon, you're just going to have to trust that it relates. So, Marie or Claire... join. Join Patreon. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Lifetime Because Ten. this week is worth it. Like, this week and next week are worth... Oh, my are God. Worth this the week is so worth it. Um, so, from Marie... Yeah, this week's episode is worth five bucks by itself. Thank you. I'm really proud of it. Like... There too, but yes, it's not that story. It's not like I made the story, but I'm really proud of the research that that I did to get there. You know, 
It's an incredible story and I can't wait to finish it. I'm so excited. So, um, MarieClaire.com wrote this about um, Christmas Unwrapped, which is the one that I picked. Which uh, is one of my favorite Lifetime joints of the season. And I, I saw that you picked it in the drive and I was like, oh, I'm so It's excited. so cute. Um, so it said a small town reporter, Amber Stevens West, tries to dig up the truth behind the local guy who claims all the gifts he gives out every Christmas come straight from the big man in red. Whether he's experiencing a very vivid hallucination or just gaslighting the entire community, you can bet he'll win over Charity's heart by the end. Bonus, this delightful fever dream of a Lifetime movie was executive produced by Tiffany Haddish. So I'm already in. Uh, Listen, when I saw that Tiffany Haddish produced it, I was like, this is going to be, I knew it was going to be one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Absolutely lived up to that. It was not a movie that that Tiffany Haddish has to hang her name on to be good. It is good without her on it. Oh, 100%. Um, So Christmas Unwrapped premiered on Lifetime on October 24th, 2020. It was the second movie in their Christmas lineup this year. It was preceded only by Christmas on Ice, which I also watched. And I almost covered it because it was adorable too, except that it had um, some of the same cast from the movie I covered last year. So I just wanted some new faces. Well, and the guy in Christmas on Ice. So he was the guy in uh, Christmas on the Mode last year. He's super hot. No, but he was so much hotter in Christmas on Ice. Because yes. Because he was a hockey player. Agreed. And um, not an ice cream man. And he's Australian. And, like, I wish he would just have his real accent because... Yeah. Okay, sorry. So um, Christmas <laughs> Unwrapped stars Amber Stevens hot West. Hot again. <laughs> Uh, Amber Stevens West as Charity Jones. Um, she has been in several episodes of Criminal Minds. She was in a show called Ghosted. Um, but I know her from The Amazing Spider-Man. She played Ariel. And more importantly, Greek. She was Ashley on the ABC Family. She was on an episode of Grey's Anatomy like way, way back in the day. Uh-huh. She was. Mm-hmm. Um, Marco. Gr- just, she's so pretty. Marco Grizzini as Eric Gallagher. He has been in The Flash. He was a voice on Total Drama, which is a cartoon on Cartoon Network that I actually really liked whenever I was like in college. It was back when they programmed for older audiences more. Um, mm-hmm. And then he's in a new show on Netflix, which is this week's porn porn hub or TV because um, yes. it's called Virgin River. <laughs> oh, I hear oh. it's very good. It's very hallmarky. Is it? Yes. Um, it's very hallmarky. The um, Sherry on Drakes, who um, plays Tisha Davis, but I call her Bestie for the entire show because they didn't say her name until like forty minutes in. As usual. As mm-hmm. usual. Um, she's not really in anything else of note, but she was good. Um, Morgan Kelly as Aaron Coleman. He was in Paparazzi Princess, the Paris Hilton story, which has the very distinct honor of having like a zero star rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm sorry. Is that a Lifetime movie? It's not. In fact, it was made for Lifetime and then Lifetime rejected it because it was so bad. Oh, my God. We have to cover that. Um, But he was. We have to watch that. He was in uh, Being Erica and then also in Aaliyah, the Princess of R&B, which is a Lifetime movie. 
we need to cover that. That's a fucked up story too. Yep. Um, and then finally, actress of note, Cheryl Ladd played Janet Cohen. I call her editor in chief the entire show, uh, the entire script rather. She was in American Crime Story. She played Linnell Shapiro. She was actually the singing voice of Melody in the old Josie and the Pussycats cartoon. But most oh importantly, gosh. she was Chris Monroe in Charlie's Angels. Um, and she is, yeah. she is too good an actress to have as few lines as she had in this movie. Agreed. But she delivered them all perfectly. Um, so the movie opens with these gratuitous, beautiful shots of New York City covered in snow, generic cr- poppy Christmas music plays, and the camera pans over Central Park and like generic brownstones, and it's everything I want in my life. And, and here's it's not 2020, and no one's wearing a mask, right? It's beautiful snow. Here's, Rockefeller Center has people in it. Here's why I insert my rant about going to New York last year for the, like we landed the 26th and went through mm-hmm. the 30th and there was no snow. And the reason I picked those dates was for snow and there was none. So rant is over, but I have, every time I go to New York, they report that it's unseasonably warm and I'm always pissed. Like I must bring it with me. Well, for everyone in the North who's wondering what the fuck we're on. <laughs> we live in the South. And so we don't see snow. And when we do, it's by a fluke of nature. So, And, and it's brown for a long time because all the toxins in the air that it has to pull down first. So we, we get very excited about snow. As, and as you'll remember from last week, we are actually both certified snow experts. So yeah. we just, we have to be around it because our expertise is so high. And yeah, I know so much about <laughs> we're snow. <laughs> we're such snow elitists that we, we have to be where the snow is. Um, if we, later we should go on the snow thing and, 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 and pow- the, the look at the powder. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, fine, <laughs> fine powder. So like baby then <laughs> the camera, uh, like we're now in a woman's bedroom and the camera pans across a stack of books on a woman's nightstand. I paused the movie to see what the books were and they were actually pretty important. Like they were on brand for the character and I really liked how they built this. Um, so books were they? the books were on the front line, the collected journalism of Marie Colvin. Everybody's Got Something by Robin Roberts. Mm-hmm. The Book of Joy by the Dalai Lama. And then some book that just says Diane Sawyer on the side. And I couldn't figure out which one it was. But um, Did Robin Roberts EP this one? No, this is Tiffany Haddish. But I thought Robin Roberts maybe had something to do with it. She might have. But I'm not sure. That- as far as executive producer. She does a lot of lifetime stuff. She so does. That would be like completely out of the realm. Yeah. Right. 100%. Um, so these books tell me a lot about the character for sure. They're also very on brand for a small town reporter moving to the big city to be a journalist. Um, so the camera then pans over to a woman waking up from sleep in a full face of makeup. And she's in the most luxurious apartment I've ever seen a small town reporter in a big city live in. Um Oh, I'm sorry. You don't wake up with a full face on? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do. Every day. <laughs> I should eat right now. It's 
Um, this apartment's decorated really beautifully for Christmas time, and she's surprised. Apparently, her roommate pulled an elf and decorated overnight because, quote, it's just two weeks, or it's two weeks to Christmas, so I can finally decorate. And either I'm doing it wrong, or she does, but, like, if you're waiting till two weeks before Christmas, you're, like, six months too late, but especially everyone knows that when you take down your Halloween decorations on November 1st, you replace them with Christmas. This tree right behind me has been up since before Halloween. I knew that. <laughs> um, Fight me. So um, the the main character, the woman, we still don't know her name. She walks down to the newsstand and she asks the guy who runs it about the local news. So I'm going to guess she's not really the world's best reporter if like her biggest lead is the guy who sells the newspapers. You know what? You don't know. That guy may have seen some stuff. <laughs> Maybe. Um, and then a witness of violent crime. Okay. (laughs) And then bestie appears and says something about her being a reporter. And the girl uh, complains about how she's not a real reporter because nobody takes her blog seriously. And then I'm like, okay, so there we have it. And then I'm like, but Oh shit. How does a struggling blogger afford that apartment? Um, and it's at this point that I am tired of not knowing the blogger's name. So I just Googled it. It's Charity. Of course, the lead in a Christmas movie is named Charity. I should not be surprised. I mean, it's better than Holly. <laughs> That's true. Uh, my name is Holly Ivy Christmas Time, And I come from Christmas City, USA. Uh, my favorite colors are red and green. I'm just now writing you my own like Hallmark you've script. never seen that Brooke Diorsey movie about the tree. <laughs> That's true. Um, Where she's like Miss Christmas of Chicago and she has right. to the tree. Fuck, what's that movie called? I love that movie. I don't it's remember the title. I'll look at it. Um, so anyway, um, Charity's roommate slash bestie leaves her to chat with the newsstand guy. And then this really hot guy comes up and asks if he he can put some flyers in the newspapers at the stand. He's charming and everybody around him stops to look at him mostly because this was shot during COVID. So there are only three people on the street charity, the hot guy, Mm -hmm. the newspaper guy. So they're all just staring at the hot guy. Um, And then the newspaper says anything for Eric Gallagher. And now we know the romantic interest name, but we still haven't learned charities. Charity tells Eric that he can't just advertise in the newspaper without going through the proper channels because she's apparently all about rules. And he sheepishly says, oh, it looks like I've been caught. And um, she finally says her name. Um, She's like, I'm Charity, Charity Jones. And he's like, oh, how interesting. These flyers are for Charity, too. And I think that's supposed to be charming. But honestly, it's kind of a stretch. And Charity is Miss Christmas. Yes. Sorry. Um, Charity is not impressed by this pickup line, and I like her more than I did before she was unimpressed. Like, um, so then the one thing about Lifetime movies is the guys never seem to have really good pickup lines, right? Um, Which makes them more realistic, right? Because I've actually never heard a guy with a good pickup line. So, um, so I'm I'm not defending that statement because you're true. So you know better. Eric invites her to his charity event. They're going to go like ice skating and she declines. And then Bestie shows back up with a bagel and charity is ready to peace out. But Eric can't stop smiling at how much he loves her already. So 
apparently Charity and Bestie work at the same newspaper place. It's called the Times Square Journal and Charity and Bestie are sitting in the morning meeting where their editor in chief is about to assign this year's holiday headline. And apparently there's only one to a journalist and Charity's ears perk. You're on mute and you're talking to me and you're on mute. Oh, <laughs> there's only one story that comes out during Christmas. Right. One story. Right. Right. Ever in the whole world. <laughs> Always. <laughs> right. And like this our whole life. <laughs> so. Why you have questions. <laughs> so. Um, so Charity's ears perk when the editor in chief says that Eric Gallagher is the focus of this year's holiday profile because he's founded this charity called Never Stop Believing. And it's apparently important. And so Charity... And a charity. Get it? It's funny. Believe it. And then, and then, Hold on to the feeling. Sorry. <laughs> and then I said, uh, I'm trying here, Tiffany Haddish, but you did not give me a lot to work with. Because the first 20 or 30 minutes, the first 20 minutes of this movie, I was not in it to win it. It, it was kind of a slow burn for me. It's a slow burn, but it's a, it was a, the end. Like- uh-huh. It redeemed itself for sure. Oh. So apparently Eric gives away thousands of dollars worth of personalized gifts every year to people who believe in Christmas and the editor in chief wants to know where Santa's number one helper gets the gifts and ideas for everybody. And Bestie just wants to know if he's single. And like, I feel that. Um, But Eric always says he gets all of his gifts from Santa and surprise of all surprises, charity gets to do the holiday headline because the girl who normally would do it had to go to Chicago for an emergency. So, um, you, you say these things like they're unbelievable, but right. I don't understand why. <laughs> so, um, editor in chief calls charity into her office and she tells her that she's read her blog and that she's got some serious writing chops. So she expects something good from her. Then she tells Charity that she has to attend all of the de- 12 days of Christmas events that Eric organizes each Christmas. Um, and Charity gets a little sheepish because she's already turned down his invitation to the first one once. Um, so Oops. apparently part of his like never stop believing Charity is that he sets up an event for the 12 days leading up to Christmas. And then he gives away all these gifts in Central Park on Christmas Day. And they're free for anybody to attend. And they must cost millions of dollars. But he has no corporate sponsorship. And so the Times Square Journal is just baffled by this. And you write your wish. Right. You write your wish on the paper. We're getting there. Yeah. But then she talks about it. Oh, does she? Okay. Because she's like, yeah, how do they know, like... Oh, that's right. All the... Yeah. I call them Like, the, how personal they are. I call them the Santa sticky notes throughout this whole thing. So we will talk about the Santa sticky notes again. Um, nice. So, so then Charity... Uh, like FaceTimes with her dad and she tells him about the assignment. He's super excited for her. And then some Christmas song plays and I don't remember what it was now, but it was like angels we've heard on high or something like that. And she starts to tear up because that was apparently her mom's favorite Christmas song. And now she can't believe in Christmas because her mom died. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, just as a religious man, do you know how many syllables are in the word Gloria? I know you're not Catholic, but seventeen. Yeah, yep. <laughs> That's so funny. 
Well, and see, you and I are from the South, so it really is limitless how many syllables we can put in anything. <laughs> um, so cut to Charity searching for Eric Gallagher on a generic search engine. I paused the screen here, in fact, to see what the web address was because I always like when they make up their own um, search engines and stuff. But there's literally not one. Like, there's nothing in the address bar at the top. So, like, apparently Charity's not very good at research because <laughs> she's not even on a real website. She's using Ask Google Who, okay? <laughs> new search engine. Ask Binggoogle.com. Like <laughs> Ask Bingle Who. <laughs> it keeps getting worse. In fact, that's the show now. Our whole our whole episode from here on out is just us combining all the most popular search engines any way we possibly can. I think Bingle Who is, I, is it. I, I think. <laughs> I mean, we didn't try Bing Hoogle. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds like a character in The Grinch, so. <laughs> Bing Hoogle. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so. Um, Anyway, so Charity is searching on this unconnected whatever, um, and she starts researching Eric and finds out that um, he one time gave an entire house to a couple at Christmas time. So, like, it's not like he's just passed. He's not the guy who bought up all the PS5s this year, apparently, because he's given out, like, better shit, so... Um, it's sad that, like, everyone's like, PS5! And I'm like, I just still want an Xbox One. Oh, that's easy. Yeah, you should look at my wallet. It's not easy. <laughs> oh, well, just um, just play several Christmas gigs like I did this year. Um, don't sleep at all. Sell a whole bunch of what soap. What should I Wonder play? What you're doing here. I don't play an instrument. What do you suggest? Um, just turn the radio up really loudly and then tell people you'll turn it down if they pay you. It's an option. Okay, that works. Listen, it's a it's a weird business model, but I have faith in it. Oh, it's because I used my Christmas money this year to pay off a debt. Right. And that's good, but... Right. <laughs> that's responsible. I know. Uh, I hate being <laughs> So, Charity trudges out the next day to the ice skating rink, which is Erica's, Eric's first event. And she's told that she has to ice skate or she won't be allowed to do the story because she's like, can I just walk out there in my boots? And the, like apparent bouncer of this situation who we later find out is a real person and not just a bouncer um this says that she has to right says like no you have to participate or this is over um so so she like tries to skate out but she's a hot mess express so eric has to come help her get to the middle of the ring where there's for no apparent reason a park bench that they're gonna sit on uh huh. And so she starts to interview him, but um, he says he was hoping that she was the Charity Jones who was going to interview him because he'd met a charity the day before. And what are the chances of meeting two charities in two days? And she's like, but it's even more unbelievable that we met one day and then I was told to follow you around. And things get real awkward because that's how she says it. Yeah. <laughs> 
so then he asks what she knows about him and she recites like the entire bullet point list of his life when he was right. born that he grew up in foster care that he has no um noble creepy yeah which is creepy like if i was doing if i started a charity and i was doing these amazing like uh, no matter where the gifts are coming from he's doing amazing things for people right, right absolutely he's not like being a scumbag even though they go in with the assumption that he is right uh and so if i like am running a charity and like people come to write a story about me and they're like oh by the way i know all these facts about you going back to when you were a child but like nothing about like what you're doing here right I- i'm gonna be like um what right um so she says that he, has, he just doesn't. Right. <laughs> she says that he has no known work history. And at one point he corrects her and says that he made chocolate when he was a teenager, which is important later. We're putting a pin in that. Um, and that now he has this giant charity. And then she asks him what his hope for the 12 days of Christmas events are. And he says he makes events free for everybody so that people can have free, amazing memories with their families because he didn't have that growing up. Um, and so magical music plays and then the rink becomes crowded with children and the interview's over. So a, a kid comes up and asks Eric when they're done skating, if he'll tell Santa to bring him a scooter and Eric gives him one of those Santa sticky notes that we talked about earlier, that apparently the rules are you have to write what you want it and then you throw it in a fireplace. And when it burns up, the magic dust will go to the North pole and it feels all very like flu network to me. And I just want to know how many like public fireplaces are there in New York city? Well, okay. So what I found interesting about this is like, it isn't just like you write a wish you write like you, like the greatest wish of your like little child heart. Right. Yeah. It's not like, Oh, I want, I'm going to take 10 Santa sticky. Right. You get one Santa sticky patch and I want this and I want that. And so like kids are writing like very serious things because if you think your kids don't understand your adult problems, you're very wrong. So some of the kids are writing very serious right. things on their Santa. Right. Like, you know. um, because one of those comes back later and it's so sweet. That's the part that made me tear that up. Breaks my heart uh-huh. into a million pieces. So that's the, the first time I teared up. I teared up twice. But um, mm-hmm. so anyway, um, so he gives him this sticky note and he tells him to write Scooter on it. If that's his heart's biggest desire and throw it in the fireplace and um, so then Eric gives Charity a Santa sticky note and she shuts him down and she says, I only believe in facts, not magic. Don't try this shit with me, basically. Um, yeah, she's kind of a... She's a shrew in the, in the beginning. The beginning. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then Charity... I remember watching and being like, I got it, you're annoying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So Charity talks shit about Eric with Bestie and says that the next event is this 24 hour movie marathon at a theater. Um, And so when she gets to this theater, she awkwardly questions the bouncer from the day before who he is Aaron. um, And she questions Aaron about Eric and like, could they have not made names that were a little more easily discernible in an audio medium? Like, yeah. As an Aaron who has dated both another Aaron and an Eric in my lifetime, it's very confusing. Yes. So, um, what did I get? 
Oh yeah. So um, she starts questioning Aaron about like Eric and her questions just piss him off. And then basically he says that they grew up in foster care together, that they're foster brothers and that if charity hurts Eric or his charity, he will fuck her shit up. Yeah. And he pretty much says it like that. Yeah, like <laughs> He doesn't pull any punches. No, it's, he doesn't say it in a nice hallmark way. He says it in a very lifetime murder mystery way. Right. That like eerie music plays underneath for just a second. Yeah. All the bright colors disappear in just that shot. Mm-hmm. Um, in our so- edit of the week, somebody passes behind us in just a red sweater. Everything else is black and white. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so, um, cut to this socially distanced movie theater and I didn't mean to laugh but like there are only people in every other row and they're in clusters of two and three and like yeah you can tell that this is not supposed to be COVID times but it is right and so I just laugh at the idea that this is New York City and it's a free movie event and and they even said that they're watching Elf which is like a pretty popular Christmas movie and so there's like 17 people in the whole theater (laughs) Also, can we just talk about how fucking rad a 24-hour movie theater movie marathon You and I would move in. Oh, fuck yeah. Um, I'd be there the whole time. So, in fact, a couple years ago, um, my local theater did this big Harry Potter event for Harry Potter's birthday. And they played Mm -hmm. all the movies plus... um, the first Fantastic Beasts over the course mm-hmm. of it was Labor Day weekend. So it was that Friday night through Monday. And mm-hmm. my friends and I got the pass that let you into any of the movies you wanted to go to. And we just camped out for that entire weekend. It was amazing. That would be so fun. Yeah. And so then it was really fun because most of the people in theater had seen them all. So we were just all talking and like, it was like hanging out with all your best friends, even people you didn't know, because it's not like there was the fear of interrupting somebody's movie experience. And then everybody's seen those movies. Right. If you haven't, that's not the best place to experience. Well, and then a couple of times the people around us were like, Hey, this is his first time. And it was so fun to watch everyone be like, be respectful and not spoil things. So we like Uh still chatted, but we didn't like tell what was coming next. Yeah. Uh, It was just, one of my favorite memories that's so cool but i like a like really like an awesome christmas movie one that was 24 hours oh yeah would be so rad you have to start with the old miracle on 34th street mm-hmm. transition immediately into the mar wilson miracle on 34th street okay and then let's pull in to break it up um the animated how the grinch stole christmas okay and then we're transitioning that straight into what's a good sappy christmas movie it's a wonderful life happy oh yeah i hate that one but that's our bathroom break opportunity yeah (laughs) and then we go to elf to bring it right back up sure Follow that up with Santa Claus 1, 2, and 3. Okay. We don't have to do 3, but, like, if we're going to do 1 and 2, we might as well. Okay, but you're, like, missing White Christmas, The Holiday. Oh, I'm saving those. Actually. I'm saving White Christmas for prime time. I mean, White Christmas. So good. White, I I rewatched White Christmas this year. Say that three times fast. Um, Well, I can't say ours, so no with fresh eyes 
I realized that White Christmas is where the Hallmark Christmas movie trope comes from. Like, where the plot line of a Hallmark Christmas movie comes from. You're not wrong. That's interesting. They take out all the music, and it is the the chance meeting with the, like, building love story. The big misunderstanding. Uh-huh. That then magically gets worked out in the end. And the B-plot love story where they're just and- rooting for the best friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right, huh? Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, we solved everything. We're done with this episode now. We're done. Yeah. And I got my PhD in Christmas movies, so <laughs> I need Doctor Christmas. From so now on. anyway, back Doctor to- Queen Christmas. <laughs> back to this socially distanced theater. Um, Eric asked Charity her favorite Christmas movie, and she says she doesn't even watch Christmas movies because, again, we get it. You have no fun. Um, oh my gosh, so boring. But if she had to pick one, it's Miracle on 34th Street. And Eric laughs and he was like, well, that's oddly poetic because your favorite movie is about a charming man who's trying to convince a stubborn woman that Santa is real. <laughs> um, he says a skeptical woman. He doesn't say stubborn because that's not nearly yeah. as endearing, but that's clearly the undertone. That's the sentiment. Mm-hmm. Um. And then he says his favorite movie is Home Alone because even though his parents forgot about him, Kevin was able to survive on his own. Um, so then Charity Home thinks, Alone? We need a 48-hour Christmas right? movie marathon. Right? Because if you're going to do Home Alone, you have to do Home Alone Lost in New York. Oh, yeah. That's that's my favorite one, in fact. I don't like it. I don't like the first one as much. I just love the first one because of the dis- like the just utter mayhem and destruction. Right. Um, so then since he's like sentimental about having been forgotten by his parents, she's like, so what was it like growing up in foster care? Was it the most miserable experience ever? And like, she asked these pretty insensitive questions about foster care, which I don't know that I would have realized they were as insensitive as they are. But like, I don't know that I would have noticed it except that now that I'm a foster parent, I see how problematic that line of questioning was. Yeah. I think that. I think that a lot of people don't understand right foster care and you know there's also like a great push in America to like uh, be the best parent in the world so you there's like no part of you that can understand like uh, a situation and you know of like uh, it, it's just right it's so badly misunderstood and, right and movies and film and TV do nothing to like help balance right yeah Um, because you know dan dan on grumpy dan on deck the hallmark talks about this all the time because they adopt their their twin he's like yeah that's like every story about adoption that's not how adoption works it's just not it's not how it works right (laughs) um well and like y'all are living through this whole process with me and so i i would not believe all the things that we go through unless I knew somebody close to me who was going through them, you know, does that make any sense? Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, right. it's just, I don't know that I would have found it as insensitive if I watched this movie last year, but yeah. I'm like, girl, you need to chill out. This is a little far. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so then she says, well, why haven't you tried to track down your family? And she gets like pushier and pushier until he finally says they didn't want me. And the indication is clearly you need to back the fuck off. This is another thing that really bothers me. It's like the idea that every child who is adopted or fostered 
innate has like an innate need to go find their birth family. Right. That's not the norm in every situation. Right. Yes, a lot of people do, but many, many, many people don't. Right. I have friends that are adopted and have no interest in finding their birth parents. Right. They're like, it doesn't matter to me. Like my family, like, and you know, there's a balance there, right? Because you know, there are people that are like, oh, well, your adoptive family is your family. Like, no matter what, it, it's you got to find a balance. But for like, it's everyone's choice personally. I think. Right. Well, one hundred percent. If and you like, have no interest in that, like, that's fine. Right. Um. And so. Um. And this is where I wonder, where's that foster brother Aaron to come play bouncer? Like. He threatened her. Where is he to follow up on that threat? <laughs> I like, I remember that this was the thing that really bothered me in this movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. So then they it keeps happening. It, yeah. Yeah. It's story. So then they play awkward 20 questions, like to try to diffuse the tension, but she's just a really bad interviewer. And like, he'll be like, so what's your favorite candy? And she's like, what's your mom's first name? Like, it just, it doesn't follow how 20 questions works. No. Um, so she gets real nosy and he walks away to do something and she, he's dropped a letter on the ground. So she bends up to, bends down to pick it up. And it's the secret letter that's signed from Chris. Like, I guess Chris Kringle. And then I was like, lifetime for real. Like, we're going to play this card. And apparently we are because it's a running theme. Um, which I know he says he gets all of his gifts from Santa, but like Lifetime played a lot of magic into this particular storyline. And I loved it in the end, of, but in the beginning I did not. They made this kind of a running theme throughout the season. Okay. There was a lot of Christmas magic this year. Okay. I'm and I really appreciated that. I think that in a lot of the, the movies we get lost in like the love story and in, you know, all of that. And we lose like the Christmas, like the magic of Christmas. Right. And, and I thought it was really nice to kind of go back to that. Like even as an adult watching an adult movie, sometimes you just want the answer to be that it's fucking Santa Claus. Like, right. Well, and like I said, by the end, that's Especially what I wanted. this year. Right. This year, I'm like, I don't care who it is. <laughs> <laughs> and by the end, that's what I wanted. But, like, I still wasn't sold into this storyline until about four minutes after this. Um, yeah. And so she reads this secret letter and then she snaps a picture of it on her phone while, like, old school lifetime mystery music plays underneath it. Like, reminiscent of our intro music. Which isn't the whole point of being an interviewer to like gain the trust of your, the person you're interviewing and not go behind their back and do exactly what she did. Right. Yeah. And then here's (laughs) the part that sold me on the Christmas magic, but the magic hadn't happened until the scene I'm about to describe. So when she goes back to work, she goes into the editor in chief and she's like, look at this letter that he was carrying around. It's from North pole, Alaska. And she takes out her phone and the like the letterhead is there, but the whole thing is blank on her phone. Um, and so the boss is like, Oh, good, good job. We picked the right person for this job. (laughs) So, um, now cut to charity meeting some old guy for dinner. And I think he must be Eric Santa Claus, but honestly, Sarah had come in and I stopped paying attention to talk to her and I figured out who it was. So to cut, this is me reading my notes to cut. She was supposed to be interviewing or she's uh, set up an interview with the 
owner of the chocolate shop that he had worked for when he was a teenager. Um, and so this guy comes in and I just call him this Santa. Is the best part. Oh yeah. Until the end. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, She's interviewing Santa Man, uh, which is what I like to call him, because it's very clear that he looks like Santa Claus. In fact, I think he's the same guy from Hallmark's um, the Mariah Carey Christmas movie from several years ago. Like, I feel like it's the same actor, but maybe all Santa okay. actors look the same. Well, I, I mean, how dare you? Um, <laughs> Stereotype. <laughs> also, can you pause for like one second? Yes. And we're back. Okay. Oh, shit. I don't even remember where I was now. Um, awkward 20 questions. Photo is blank. Okay. So she's meeting with Eric's old boss to talk about him working at the chocolate shop. Um, and Santa Man sings Eric's praises. Uh, and this is where I said, oh, no. This is the guy who Eric worked for in his first job at the chocolate shop. So, like, that's where I figured it out. But I'd been distracted when it started up. So I was like, why is she interviewing some random Santa? Like... <laughs> Um, so, um, he loves Eric. And then when Charity asks where he gets the money for the thousands of gifts, Santa just kind of cryptically says, Eric grew up with nothing. He knows what it feels like to have nothing. He will work to make sure nobody he ever meets experiences that again. Right. Um, so then... Santa man continues with the cryptic messages and says that charity needs to believe in things and believe in Christmas. And then the interview's over. So, um, charity comes back to her apartment and bestie says, well, like, I think you're going about this too aggressively. And also maybe trying to interview him about his personal life while he's at a citywide event that he's in charge of is not the best because he's probably distracted you idiot so like why don't you ask him out one night to just hang out like personally and then you'll have his undivided attention um and so then she says that she used her charm to get into the new york state documents and that she's going to track down eric's birth records for charity to help with the case with the um story um and and i'm like man i i I wish you wouldn't right so meanwhile charity goes to her bedroom and she's going to transcribe the recording she took of the interview with santa man and the file is all static so that's fun no so um (laughs) the next day charity goes to eric and she is awkward as fuck asking him out to dinner um but he is just so charming. And he's like, you know what? I know the perfect place. I'll bring a basket. And she's like, bring, bring a basket. And he was like, you, you just bundle up, wear a coat and I'll pin drop you a location on my phone. And so, um, which is not terrifying at all. Right. Um, especially because you see a guy on hinge and you're like, he's like, yeah, I'm going to pin drop you a location bundle up. Right. And then the, the I'm gonna be like, mm, I'm calling nine one one. When you open the spot on Apple Maps, it just says city dump. Like, you just you just don't go. Um. Anyway, so this is not the city dump. This is a picnic in the snow at Central Park, and it's beautiful. And I'm jealous. And there's a fire. Why did you have to pin drop her a location? Because it's Central Park. 
It's huge. Have you ever been to Central Park? It is massive. Oh, no, but why can't you say meet me at the what and what and what entrance of Central Park? Yeah, fair. Um, Instead of, I'm going to drop you a pin in the middle of Central Park. Right. Um, so <laughs> there's a fire and there are like weird fake animal skins everywhere and there's okay. food on a table and like seriously Eric you can take me on a date if you want like this woman does not appreciate it the way I will and then he says dinner is just mac and cheese with bacon and I'm like that's a side dish sir what's the actual dinner so <laughs> you win some you lose some okay yes okay we have to have this debate mac and cheese side dish yes yes not dinner no thank you no um, I was waiting. I he, rest my case. He was like, for dinners, mac and cheese and bacon. And I was like waiting for the next part. And he's like, and then I brought truffles that I made. Um, I learned how to make them at the chocolate shop. Like, and I'm like, so, but like you missed the, you missed the main, the, it's just the mac and cheese. Well, that's why if you're skinny. Mac and cheese is your main course. That shit better be lobster mac and cheese. Right. It better have some Gouda. It better have some, like, of the fancy cheese. It better have some breadcrumbs on top that you toasted. Mm-hmm. It better be, like, fancy. But, like, it's in a Tupperware, so I don't know how fancy it is. Um, so I'm glad we're on the same page here. We are. So um, <laughs> I want to know where they, are like, are filming this movie because I can actually see their breath and their noses and cheeks are rosy. So it's like actually cold where they are. Probably Vancouver. That's what I assumed. Cause I know that's where a lot of filming happens, but, um, and then there's but a, also, they, they released this in October. So I would assume it would have had to be filmed in the summer. That's what Even... I thought. So I have yeah, no but... idea unless they filmed it at the end of last season. Maybe. But it was COVID. Like, it was clearly COVID because lo- everything is empty and socially distanced. Um, So I don't know. And I should have done research, but I didn't. Because us guessing is a lot better than research, I've decided. Oh, totally. There's no way to know. Right. <laughs> At all. Um, So anyway, there's a montage of them eating and laughing and drinking got chocolate, as I decided to type. Um. Drinking okay. hot chocolate while knockoff NSYNC Christmas music plays. Like, this wants to be the definitive sound of Christmas in NSYNC's Christmas album so badly, but it's just not there. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Okay. The one I always think of is... Um, oh, now I can't because I've got that one stuck in my head. But okay. it's the one where they talk about... Um, the most beautiful thing about Christmas is you lying underneath my tree. And I'm like, I just, is she like butt ass naked just stuck up underneath there? Or like, is this figurative or symbolic or like, sir, what is happening in this song? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's like a fire and the Christmas tree is off to the side. <laughs> Maybe. Um, in any case, so. Then- Maybe it's the Rockefeller tree. Maybe. They are in sync. Like I, That's fair. That's fair. I'm not here to, to, to argue with their experiences. <laughs> <laughs> so then this date goes south really quickly. And it's probably mm-hmm. because there was only mac and cheese. Um, but she basically tells Being them. Being angry is real. 
she basically tells him he's an idiot for believing in Santa. Like, no pulled punches, no, like, dancing around it. She's like, I think it's stupid that you say it's Santa. So, um, what's actually yeah, going on? argument was like, you can be a skeptic without being an asshole. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Not charity. Nope. Um, so he just smiles and says that Chris Kringle brings all the gifts and that he believes in Santa. And then he's like, did you write down your wish on that sticky note I gave you? You need to burn it. So Santa will bring it to you. And then she says, well, I admit that I'm a little jealous that you still believe in magic. Um, she said she lost that feeling sometime in her young adulthood and she wants it back. Um, that she'd love to have it back sometimes. And then she tells this story about missing her mom. And I didn't write down this story at first and then it becomes important later. So I went back and wrote it. Um, she said that when she was a little girl, she wrote Santa a letter asking for a Samantha, the reporter doll, or she's yeah. got some name, but I, I don't think it was Samantha, but basically a, a, a reporter Barbie. And I think it was a, it was a double R. It was like a Robin, the reporter or something like that. Um, I'm sorry. Hold on. Okay. Can you not? <laughs> I don't know what you're doing or why, but can you please stop? Uh-huh. You. <laughs> so, um, she says she, she like talks to me when I tell her not to do so. She's like, bah, 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 bah. right. <laughs> um, but she, um, she said she wrote Santa a letter asking for that doll. And then her mom told her that if they kissed it, it would make it even more special and Santa would get it faster. So her mom kissed it. And then she put her favorite color lipstick on charity and charity kissed it too. And she said that sometimes when she misses her mom, she still thinks about the lipstick marks on the letters. And it's one of her happiest memories. And it really is a sweet memory. Um, and then he basically says he's never met his parents um, so he wishes he had memories like that and he's jealous that she has them. And she said, well, they're missing out on somebody special. And then he asked her to leave that part out, out of the story, like including his parents. And she says that he can trust her. But editor in chief has other ideas. She wants charity to get to the bottom of quote, this ridiculousness. Um, so charity goes to this like Chris, I thought it was a Christmas caroling event in the park, but it's apparently a Christmas tree event in the park. Like people were picking out Christmas trees to take home. And, yeah. um, so she tags along with Eric who tells this little boy that he has a special gift from Santa. Um, and he said, what do you want more than anything this Christmas? Santa knows. And the little boy is like, I want to see my mom for Christmas. She's deployed. Uh, she's a Marine apparently. And the boy's dad says that it's impossible that she couldn't get away even if she wanted to. But then Eric hands him an iPad and they FaceTime with the mom. Um, and the dad and the boy are like crying and they're so glad to be able to talk to the mom, but the iPad freezes up in like a way that I've never seen an iPad freeze up before. And it looks like, it looks like the midnight television. I know we're getting there, but like the, the iPad screen looks like when you woke up in the middle of the night as a kid and the TV was just on the, like the colored panels. Um, and so they're like, what happened? And the dad's like, well, it was nice to talk to her. Um, and there's some kind of little exchange about 
wishing that he could still talk to her and then um the mom says well why can't you and she comes in from off screen and she hugs them and she got to come home for christmas early and it's lovely and i cried like a fool at this scene listen they tease this scene like all through Uh uh-huh they talk about how the mom is in the military she can't come home you know, she really wants to. And the whole time I'm like, oh, God. Uh-huh. I was prepared. In fact, because the background, the background behind her is snowy. And I was like, where would she be deployed? That is a dark like them and snowy. Like I'm piecing those little things together. And then. And so, no, the whole movie, I'm like, oh, they're going to they're going to do a, a troops come home, which gets me every time. Right. In the heart uh-huh. every single time. And I was prepared for it, but I was not prepared for it this early. And so when she, like, I thought it would be like, oh, her call would cut out and then she'd come on Christmas. Right. That's what I kind of expected. And she showed up, like, right smack in the middle of the film. And I was like, oh, uh-huh. crap. And I cried. Oh, <laughs> hey, I did write down the, the Barbie doll's name. Um, so the Marine mom, after she hugs her family, she comes up to Charity and she has, like, a gift. And she said, this is yes. from you know who. And when Charity opens it, it's the Rachel Reporter doll that was Rachel. The, yes. Um, and that was what she'd asked for in that Christmas memory. Um and then she was like, it even looks like just like the one that I had when it was little. It has like the camera accessory, which I guess is like not usual for them to have or whatever. The way she says it makes it seem like this is her old Rachel the Reporter doll, you know? Right. Um. So um, Charity laments that her boss is going to fire her because she can't report that Santa is real. And Bestie appears in the park. And meets Aaron and his daughter. And there's the like the requisite B-plot romance. Found it right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are like busy picking out Christmas trees and stuff. Like for other people that um, they talk about how they want to decorate their tree. And Charity invites Aaron and his daughter to come to her house and decorate their Christmas tree with her and Bestie. Um, and so while they're there, Eric tells this really sweet story to Aaron's daughter about his theory that people are just like snowflakes and that we're all differently and wonderfully made and that there's magic everywhere and it's really sweet. And that's when like charity's eyes soften and she starts to believe in magic. Um, and so they decide to go for a walk out in the fresh air and charity asks him why Chris doesn't deliver the gifts to himself. And if he wants people to believe in him so badly, And Eric says that it's more than about believing in Santa um, or believing in Chris. It's about believing Mm -hmm. that love is real and that the real meaning of Christmas is love and that love is magic and magic is love and Christmas is magic and love and love, magic, Christmas, magic, love, Christmas, love, Christmas. I mean, okay, so, but. It's a very sweet point. They just hit it really hard on the head right there. They do. They do. They hit it really hard. But, like, this is how I explained Santa to my child. Right. And kind of how it was explained to me, although a little bit differently, which no fault to my parents, it was just becoming like a thing. But, right. you know, you know, I tell my son, you know, Christmas is the magic of Christmas is in everyone. The whole magic of Christmas is giving is making other people happy. Right. Is, you know, it doesn't matter the gift or whatever. It's about doing something that makes somebody else feel good. Oh. And that is the magic of Christmas. Right. That and that's, is Santa Claus. 
Santa Claus lives in everyone's heart. Anyone can be Santa Claus. You have to, it, it's more about putting yourself behind someone else, putting someone else before you and right. giving. It's more about the giving than the receiving, right. which was the basic plot point that I was given when I was a kid. And now it's, you know, evolved into something a little bit more. Right. And that's what he is essentially saying. But in this particular scene, it's like, so belabored yeah. that they take oh. away the feeling behind it. It's a lifetime movie. They have to beat it to death right. in order to be like, okay, we got the point. Right. <laughs> um, so then cue the first near kiss, but her sin- And so this near kiss actually drove me insane. Like I thought it was going to happen. It's one of the best done near kisses. Oh yeah, I've mm-hmm. seen this it a long time. Good one. Mm-hmm. Um, but she stops him at the last minute because her sense of propriety gets the best of her, and she has integrity. And she says it wouldn't be right since she's the reporter assigned well, to him. I have a job, right? Um, and he says, "Well, then, can I at least ask you to be my plus one to the mayor's Christmas ball?" And she acts, she accepts, and acts like it's not a huge deal to her. While she's also like, "I just, I have nothing to the the mayor's ball, the mayor's ball." Well, and so, she and her roommate talk about this in the beginning of the movie. Right. They talk about how it's the hottest ticket in town. It, it is like the place to be. Right. Anyone, anyone who's who in New York City goes to this thing. Um, also. Props to Lifetime for making the mayor of New York City a woman. Like, yes. Shout out to that. Snaps for that. So cut to now Charity drafting a piece called something along the lines of how the founder of Never Stop Believing turns us all into believers. Um, and it's clear the direction she's taking in this article is not going to be the nefarious things that the editor-in-chief has asked for. Um, she tells Bestie that it's the best piece she's ever written. Um, and Bestie says that she's going to look at the records today. And Charity says that she doesn't need that anymore. Um, but Bestie was like, well, I've already started the process. And maybe there's something in there that can help us or help you with your story. Or in the at least help Eric. Um, and so then Charity goes in to meet with the editor in chief after she's turned in the draft of her piece and editor in chief is pissed. She wants Charity to write an expose on like the illegal illicit ways that Eric gets the gifts he delivers and like cue the sad music because now she's stuck between a rock and a hard place. Mm -hmm. And, um, so Charity and Eric are in the park after this meeting And the mayor finds them and tells her, quote, the tourists are already planning their trips to be part of Eric's 12 days events next year. And I'm like, I want to know, like, did the New York City tourist department decide that they needed more tourists? Like, yeah, like how it's like the scriptwriters forgot that they were in one of the most visited cities in the world, especially at Christmas time. And they were like, mm, let's talk about tourists. This is a good place yeah. to do that. We don't have enough of them. <laughs> Junie says, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Go, She's so buddy. pretty. I know. She's my baby. Um, so Bestie calls while Charity is talking to Eric. So Charity excuses herself. Bestie says that she's found Eric's birth parents and she starts to spill the tea, but it fades away. So we don't know anything yet. Um, but you don't, you know, who does know something editor in chief, because she was creeping on the phone call right outside Bestie's cubicle. Yes. Oh yes. Okay. 
I have. We'll, we'll get to it, but I have. I have so many questions okay. about this particular plot point that occurs in many Christmas movies that I've seen this year. Uh huh. Um. So who knows what's coming next? My guess at this point is that they're ex-cons. They're not ex-cons. After commercial break, we find out that they're app developers who had Eric when they were 16, so they put him up for adoption instead. But now they're filthy, rich, and eccentric, and Bestie and Charity now suspect that they actually fund the Christmas stuff each year. Um, And they don't even... Their suspicion is that it's kind of to um, defray the guilt of having given their son up, but... um, that is not the direction that the story eventually goes in, but that is kind of the idea that they throw around at first. Um, so charity says that she's not going to tell Eric this. She's not going to crush his dreams or ruin his vision of the world with this information, because basically what she is saying is that if Eric's parents really are funding all this, that Eric doesn't know that's who it is. And she is not going to spoil the magic for him because he really believes in the magic of Christmas. Um, and so, um, let's see. Um, but Bestie says, editor in chief will want this in the article. It explains everything. Charity says that she isn't going to do that because she can't hurt anybody. And Bestie is like, well, look at you choosing integrity over your career. Like, that's so shocking and like if i have a bestie who was surprised that i'm choosing integrity i probably would yeah. trade in friends like, i'd be like uh girl right talk. um so um speaking of integrity <laughs> right um so in the end though we see her retooling her article and deleting the title about being believers and a couple of times lifetime really led you to believe one thing and then hit you with something completely different in this particular movie Mm -hmm. and i was really impressed by that too um so in the um so charity is now on a phone call with her dad and she tells her dad that she didn't change the article that much and that the editor in chief will just have to publish it the way it is. Otherwise they'll have no story for the Christmas issue. But we all know what she doesn't know is that, uh, that the editor in chief knows what's going on. So when charity gets to work later, bestie apologizes to her and she says, I don't know how she knows. And at that moment, editor in chief calls her into her office So editor-in-chief yells at Charity for having integrity, and Charity says, if writing with integrity makes me a bad journalist, then maybe I'm not fit for the Times Square Journal. And editor-in-chief kicks her out and wishes her an awful Christmas. Um, So Charity stands up and gives this impassioned speech about believing in Christmas, and then she gives her one of those Santa sticky notes, and as Charity leaves, editor-in-chief starts writing a new article about what a fraud Eric is. Charity calls Eric and says that she's sick and she can't come to his last like 12 day of Christmas event. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we see trouble on the horizon. Um, So then it shows Charity sitting on her couch and Bestie comes home with a box full of her stuff and says that she quit Times Square Journal too. Um, She said that if they're asking you to do awful things, I can't support that either. Um, And I'll find a research job somewhere else. And so um, that morning, Charity had gone out to the newsstand to ask about 
getting a copy of the Times Square Journal so she could see her article. Um, and he says it didn't come in, but there's a blizzard brewing, so maybe it's just delayed. And then the blizzard plot point disappears. Like, yes. like they make a thing of the blizzard coming, and then there's no more blizzard. Um, yeah. And she was like, okay, well, I can sense. just read it online anyway. Well, then it's not posted online. And so her and Bessie talk about how weird it is that it's not available anywhere. Um, and so then, um, charity says that she's excited that she at least gets to go out to the mayor's ball with Eric tonight, um, without an agenda because she's in love. Mm-hmm. Um, so did I not print a page in my notes? I was like, this feels too short. Um, yeah, I'll have to go to my notes in just a second. But, um, so I wrote, Charity enters the balls and everybody's. <laughs> Would she grab those balls? <laughs> so Charity enters the ball and she's in this like hot red dress. It's actually a really gorgeous red dress. Um, and it stands out because everybody else is in like black and white and silver and like really kind of muted or subtle colors and then she's in this hot red dress so that everyone knows that she's the protagonist um in case you were wondering and that's kind of how i figure out who's the protagonist in any room i'm in as well because i just look at see who's the most importantly dressed and that's how i know whether i'm a side character or not yes okay well then i'm always the most fancifully dressed yes well there you go Um, let's see. I'm actually just scrolling through everything, trying to figure out what other movie had the same fucking plot line. It's driving me nuts. That's funny. Um, where am I? Okay. So then Aaron texts and interrupts her while she's, oh, I skipped something. So she's in this hot red dress. Uh, so they slow dance and they avoid talking about work. And Eric says he's been thinking about her all day. And now that she's done being his journalist, he is so sad that she's not going to be around every day anymore. And uh, she's like, you know, I've been thinking the same thing. And he was like, well, so just so you know, I'm going to ask you out on a real date at some point tonight. And she's like, well, thanks for the warning because now I can figure out what days to tell you that I'm busy. Um, and he's like, well, you can't be busy every day. And she's like, well, just try me. And I actually found this scene really cute, but, um, it was, it was very like, uh, it was very like real flirty. Yes. Like uh, what real people say when they flirt. Right. Or what I, uh, okay. What I would say when I flirt with people. Right. Um, and then she's like, or you could just ask me now and then I can't get out of it. And, um, he's like, well, do you want to go on a date with me on Friday? And she's like, oh, I can't. Just kidding. Like, it's really adorable. Um, So then he starts to say that he's falling in love with her, but she interrupts him and says that she has something she wants to tell him. And she starts to try to spill her guts. I was like, oh, girl, don't. Yeah, not not here. Um, She starts to. And why do people think, like, the big Christmas party is the place to be like, by the way. I found your parents. Fucked up. I found your birth parents that you didn't want to meet. And they've actually been funding this whole thing for you the entire time. 
Um, so then while she's trying to tell him about his parents, Aaron texts and interrupts her and he's like, Oh, this says it's urgent. I need to go call him. Um, and I'm going to guess that this has to like that Aaron's about to tell the same information that Charity's trying to tell. And, uh, it probably would sound better coming from Charity, but that's okay. Because, Not in a nice way. Because yeah. um, before he can call Aaron, the mayor interrupts Aaron's text. And this is just like layers of interruption at this point. And the mayor like has a stare down with Charity. And it's like, you basic bitch. What are you doing up in my ball after you said these awful things? And um, what, are you, what are you doing up in my ball? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's verbatim. I think I just took that from the text. No. <laughs> so then um charity is like what the hell are you talking about and she's like you're trying to ruin the most pure thing that's ever happened to this city and so um eric turns his phone around and shows charity the article that aaron texted him and it's the article that editor-in-chief rewrote but being such a kind and gracious editor-in-chief she still gave charity the byline so it looks like Charity was saying all this shit. Okay, yes. And this is a thing. It happened in another movie this year. And I cannot figure out which one right now. I've been searching for the past 10 minutes and not paying attention to you. So I'm sorry. <laughs> but this happened twice this year. And I just want to know, like, if someone changes your work so much, isn't it not yours anymore? Yes. Like how can someone change your entire article and then be like, Oh, I'm just going to publish it under your name. Right. This happens twice this year. Especially because editor in chief has no like obligation to charity. So there's no reason she no. should have kept her name on it. No, it, it, it makes no sense except, Oh, I'm going to totally fucking screw you and leave your name on this. Yeah, like, I didn't understand it, but that's what happened. So, um, then Eric asked Charity if she thinks his parents are funding No, uh, Never Stop Believing. I didn't say No Child Left Behind. <laughs> Don't stop um, If he thinks, if she thinks that they're funding his charity for a tax break. And she says, my boss must have rewritten my article out of spite. And he's like, yeah, but you didn't answer my fucking question. Um, right. Which I like that he takes that head on too. And he does because like he says like I specifically asked you not to do this. Right. And he says um, you promise not to find my parents. And she which is true. She did promise but it was after Bestie had already made her mind up to do it. And so it is complicated but also like. It is but also it isn't. Right. Um. Because she could have big old breach of privacy. She could have told Bestie for like when Bestie was like, I'm still going to do it. It might help you. She could have been like, no, I said, I'm not going down this path, but she didn't do that. Also like, okay. So whenever somebody famous or whatever agrees to an article, don't they agree to things that aren't to be discussed? Yes. Why would this be any different? Right. And he'd said from the get-go, like, what his restrictions were. Yeah, and, and he sh- had said that, like, out loud to her. And so I don't understand why it wasn't, like, just a no-go. Right. No idea. You know, just as a reporter, certain things are off the record. Certain things are not to be discussed. And so I don't I don't get where all of this, like, hella blue came from over this 
this revelation that a she didn't even write right and two he had specifically said i don't want this included in the article well and not to mention that um sorry i just went <clears throat> fell right off not to mention like they built they spend this whole time talking about like how awful journalists are and they'll do anything to get a lead or to you know like get there or but Charity doesn't have a history of that. So like I wish no. they would have built out a character that who had done that in the past or like I don't know. Like nothing about the character of Charity implies that she or insinuates that I mean, she would step on people to get to the top. Yeah. I feel like they could have left the whole storyline behind and then have her editor come in from behind and publish it under her name. And still have and the same drama. Yeah, right. still have the exact same drama. Yeah. Um, so, at the end of the day, Charity was the one boots on the ground working on the article. Right. So then Eric was like, see, you're just like every other journalist. You're willing to ruin everybody and hurt everybody just to succeed. Um, and then she said, I quit my job yesterday and he doesn't believe it. And then he kicks her the fuck out of the ball. Um, so He's like, get out of get all out of my fucking ball. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, my prediction at this point is, is that she's going to turn to her really popular blog to make it right. Because at this point, her blog's been mentioned like 30 times, but it's always been like such minor things that I didn't notice that it was a big deal until it was a big deal. Um, right. Because they just didn't want you to forget that she had an ultra popular blog, but she doesn't really talk about it. It's just in the fringes of this movie. No, they just mention it like a few times and they're like, Oh, haha. Yeah. You forgot she had a blog, didn't you? Right, exactly. So she walks home in the cold and then she sits on a park bench and ugly cries. And I actually applaud this ugly cry montage. Like, there was some feeling in that. Um, yeah. And then she but pulls. Also get a cab. <laughs> right. What are you doing walking home in New York City at night? Oh, it's safe. What's that face for? Have you ever been to New York? Oh, yeah. When we go, Sarah and Lindsay always go out together at night. Like, if you stay in there, she wasn't in any of the places that are that terrifying. Um, because, like, the park bench is next to Central Park, and that's a very, like, safe, well lit, we busy know, area. I know where Charity's been. And I'm just saying, in general, that's it's probably true. not a good idea to walk around anywhere at night by yourself. That's fair. Um, as a woman. Anyway, so she sits on the bench and um, then they're like carolers who start singing in front of her while she's crying. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Right. Well, <laughs> I, we, they, we don't see them come up. So like, we don't know if they were there. For- on a bench. Let's go sing to her. <laughs> well, and so I don't know if they were there because we never see them come up. So we don't know if she was there crying and they came up and we're like, La, 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 like straight into her what? face or if like they're trying to spread Christmas cheer and she just like fucking sits down in front of their carols and like oh boo I hope it was the former <laughs> so then like one of the carolers makes a face and walks away from the group and I think she's going to tell Charity a secret but all she's doing is putting a log on the fire that is also conveniently beside them. <laughs> why? Why is there a fire in Central Park? I. What? This is what makes me think that Charity just plopped down in the middle of their concert and started crying, which is super disheartening as a performer. They're like, bitch, this is a prop. 
Scrooge, Scrooge is waiting on the fridge as he's been trying to come in to deliver his monologue for 10 minutes while she's ugly crying. He's like, Merry Christmas, everyone. God bless us, everyone, except for you. The fuck off my bitch. Like, Get off my bitch. No, that's the homeless. <laughs> so, oh, my bitch. anyway, we have gone so far off the rails. So, um, she when she sees the Carler put the log on the fire, she remembers that she has the Santa sticky note in her pocket. So she writes forgiveness on it with the silver sharpie that everyone keeps in their purse at all times, and then throws it into the fire and the fire sparks up everywhere like a 4th of July sparkler and not a single one of the character carolers notices. Like No, nobody backs up because they think their coat's going to catch on fire. Like nothing like that. Happens. <laughs> no. Um, so charity, charity's dad is in to visit her. And so he starts to comfort her and they, they go out for like dinner. And while they're working on the street, walking on the street, he says, Eric's going to come to his senses. If he feels for you the way working on the street, <laughs> listen, she just quit her job. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, he says, you know, if, if Eric feels for you the way I think he does, he'll come to his senses. And then they just like randomly bump into some man who, who's apparently named Frank Murray, who's the owner of Frank's Chocolates. And yeah. then um, Charity was like, wait, you're Frank Murray of Frank's Chocolates? And he's like, oh, you're Charity Jones? I'm sorry that I missed our interview. I sat at the diner for an hour and you never showed up. And she was like, was it the diner on 34th? And he's like, no, the one on Broadway. Damn it. I got it wrong. And she's like, then who the fuck was that that I interviewed with? I mean, she looks at her dad and her eyes are like as big as fucking softballs. And she's like, I fucking meant Santa. And she like takes off and she's like, dad, something just came up. Listen, (laughs) this moment was a huge payoff. 100%. As a person that was fully invested in the magic of the story, I was like, there's got to be something big here, right? right? And it was this moment where they run into the, the the chocolate shop owner and he says he missed the interview and she realizes the interview she did back in minute 30 of this movie, like an hour ago, was with fucking Santa Claus. Right. So she the whole thing is magic. Right. Um so she takes off to her apartment, she locks herself in her bedroom, and she opens her computer and starts typing on her motherfucking blog and I called it. I was so proud of myself. Um so then she like voiceover reads the blog that she's written and it's super sweet about how amazing Eric is and how he restored her hope and love and the magic of Christmas and that she believes in the spirit of Christmas. And if you believe in the spirit of Christmas, it will set you free. Like it's really sweet. Again, it's a little overworked, but it's very sweet. Um, so I mean, it's like 
you have to you have to forgive a, a little bit of that right so she falls asleep and then she wakes up and her phone is next to her and she's got 20,000 notifications be- like literally it says your blog has been shared 20,000 times um, I just want to know how this bitch went to sleep without plugging her phone in as it still has batteries right I thought the same thing um, and then I wrote it's kind of like the TikTok that I posted that got 53.6 views 53.6 thousand views which as I told yeah. you earlier is half a million views is halfway to a million that's that was the whole point of that story <laughs> that 100 is but like i told you it's had a resurgence since i typed these notes and since i finished these notes it's gotten another five thousand views so i don't know what's going on um everybody just loves me the most is what i'm telling you it's like that story where it M got verified on t- on instagram and christine didn't <laughs> yes I can't wait to be verified. Oh my God. Give me that check. Hashtag check for Paul. Yeah. I don't think you. Oh yeah. The check, the blue check. I, um, I want them to give it to me first just so I can overshadow you. So (laughs) come on Instagram. Um, uh, he already has a viral TikTok. Can you just throw, do me a solid and give me a blue check mark? Um, Dime.store.duchess. <laughs> That's the first time you've plugged your personal social media on here. That's why people don't know how to find oh. you. I know. Look at you. This is a year of growth. It is. I'm writing a book about it. I know. I'm excited to read it. <laughs> um. So anyway, so then cut to the editor-in-chief reading Charity's blog. And then she writes something on her Santa sticky note. But they never tell us what it is. We never see what she wrote on it's that fucking probably thing. probably like, I'm a bitch and I feel bad. <laughs> and then she burns it and Santa, Satan comes down and is like, you have dyslexia. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the match commercial that Satan? Yes, they're so funny. Oh Ryan Reynolds shared it is where I saw it. the best commercial I've ever seen. Oh my god, it's so good. Um, it almost makes me want to sign up for online dating, except just aggressively not. <laughs> <laughs> so Charity wakes up and she tells her dad, she's like, "You want to go down to Central Park with me?" And he's like, "I thought you'd never ask." And he's like in Central Park clothes already. He's like, like um, so <laughs> she and her dad go down to the park so she can apply apologize he's like, to Bitch, Eric. I made my wish five weeks ago. Right. <laughs> He's just covered in sticky notes that says, like, boyfriend. He's like, I gotta get my Prezi. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, anyway, they get to the park. Everybody's happy. Scooter Boy from the beginning is there, and he got his scooter. It's uh, his scooter. And there's, like, upbeat music is playing, so I know the real kiss is coming, but it's not the romantic music yet, so it's not the real, like, it's not coming quite yet. Um, but that's the like strings are tying up music because we know how this goes. Yeah. So then Bestie just kind of appears and she's passing out presents with Aaron. And um, yeah, because they're together now. Right. But they just like, I wanted that B plot. I wanted that to happen. And they're like, this is what happened whenever they went down to do. I mean, that was it. That was the B plot. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. So anyway, um. Eric comes up and says he read her blog and she apologizes and says that she believes and the music stops and Eric Eric asks if she meant it for real when she said she was falling in love with him and she said 
I meant it and I mean it and I am or something to that effect. And it's super sweet. And, um, he says that he's falling in love with her too. And they lean in to kiss, but then they're interrupted by Aaron's daughter with a special delivery from Santa in an envelope. And here's where I cried again because she opens the letter and it's a crayon written letter from a young charity Jones with a pair of lipstick kisses on it. It is the letter where she asked for Rachel, for the, Rachel reporter the reporter from like with her mom. Right. And it, Again, right in the heart. Right, because like, like right in the heart ball, like boom. Them sharing, think. them sharing that story earlier was like beautiful enough, and then to like call back to it right there in the last forty-five seconds of the movie was just really yeah. masterfully done. It was. It was really good. Um. Uh-huh. Yeah. So then they're about to near kiss again, and. Um, then her phone rings and she answers it and it's a man from the New York Times. He said he read her blog post and he wants to offer her a job before anybody else does. But there's an open position to work as a like local reporter for the New York Times. Um, so she... Also, dude, it is Christmas. Like, go home. Right? Um, so... Eric asks what could make this Christmas any better. And she says, I can think of something. And then she pulls him in for the kiss and the camera pans to Santa man. And it fades to the credits. And it says this was another big lifetime Hallmark trope this year was the woman kissing the man. Uh-huh. And I have been into it. And then the it's ending so Chiron good. says, Rachel, the reporter served seven years to life for the murder. Of- no. <laughs> <laughs> Like, wait, <laughs> and there are our Christmas feels for this year. Yes. Okay. I watched a lot. I haven't watched them all. I really tried. I I know you off, did. You gave it a valiant effort. I got off track. I watched about I've watched about fifty movies this year, which is a lot. That's forty seven more than I did. <laughs> And I will say on the comparison between Lifetime and Hallmark, Lifetime knocked it out of the park this year. Like, keep keep doing what you're doing. They are killing it. I thought that last year, too. They were last year, too. This year, they, they took – Hallmark was like, ooh, diversity. And Lifetime was like, oh, excuse us. Right. Yeah, I it, they did so well. I am I was like actually a couple times on the deck the Hallmark group that I'm in. I've been like, uh, yeah, I'm super proud to review Lifetime movies. Thanks. Right. Um, I because they did so much better than Hallmark. They really did. They well, did so much better. And I think it has to do obviously with the fact that like Lifetime is known for being salacious for having the more. Um, the fan base that would appreciate much more diversity. Not that Hallmark people are obviously against diversity or anything because you and I love a good oh, Hallmark they movie. They had that whole scandal that like they've had, they've had troubles. They've had troubles, you know, no offense to Miss Candace Cameron Beret, but she's not the most accepting type actress out there. I don't know why you would say that. She posted that picture of her husband grabbing her boob. Funny. <laughs> um, anyway, like I, I feel like I feel like Hallmark has a lot more to overcome 
Yes. Especially after the Zola commercial last year. Oh, yeah. And I feel like they made strides. They they tried. And I, I saw that. And I recognize that. And I appreciate that. They are trying. But they don't quite have it yet. And I feel like Lifetime has it. And now they're rolling with it. And right. so they're going to stay ahead. Unless something big happens between Lifetime and Hallmark, they're going to stay ahead. Hallmark um, or Lifetime. They Who- have more, the more progressive stories. And honestly, because a more conservative Christian fan base follows the Hallmark movies in lieu of Lifetime, Lifetime can do these fun little things that are more like, oh, it's the magic of Christmas. It's the magic of Santa Claus. It is the this or the that. It, it It's unexplainable. And they don't have to be like, oh, but it's God, you know. Right, right. Um, so Hallmark or Lifetime execs, if you're listening, Aaron and I are pitching to you an idea right now. We will write it because we know that you need our talents of a gay royal Christmas movie. (gasps) Two princes of opposing countries fall in love and gay Christmas trees. Look, we did all the work for you. You're welcome. A gay royal Christmas. I will, I will die. Right? I would totally write this movie. I would. It would be like my honor to write that movie. I and if I see it next year, I will literally. I will lay down and die. And also, I call dibs now a year ahead of time. Right. Of that movie. We're titling it. <laughs> we're titling it the Princess Charming. That's the plural of prince. <gasps> yeah. Not princess, because it sounded like I said that. The Princess Charming. I love this. Aaron and I are writing the script. In fact, let's write this script and let's just. Okay. No. Lifetime intern. You need to email us. We need, like, we will get you a script. Yeah. 100%. That would be the best movie. Okay. For real? You know what a weeping puddle on my floor I would be? Right? Dreamcast of The Princess Charming. Like, if we had. The budget to hire any like B list or below actor. So obviously we're not getting, you know, um, Anna Kendrick in this movie, which I would love. But first of all, it's it's two princes, right? She's the she's the funny best friend. Oh God, of course, yeah, right. Okay, well we need B list. B list. Um. You know, I'm, I'm going to pull from Hallmark Lifetime. That's what I was about Andrew to say. Walker. Andrew Walker. Andrew Walker. And give me, um, give me Jonathan Bennett. Yeah. That's a cute coupling. That's a cute coupling. Or Patrick from the movie that I was, that I reviewed. Blake Lee. Now. Um, uh, what was his name? Blake Lee. Something Lee. Blake Lee. Luke Lee, I think. Blake. No. Blake, thank you. Blake <laughs> Lee. I thought you said Lake, and no. I was like, his name's not Lake. No, Blake. Um, Blake Lee, yes. And I want, I want the mom who played the queen in this year's Royal Christmas movie. I just adored her. She did such a good job. I want her to be one of the queens. Which one? The one with Laura Osnes. Oh, 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 okay. In in um Royal Holiday. Yes. 
I love that mom. I want her as the queen. And then I want the other prince to have a king because the B plot could be the the monarchs falling in love too, but maybe not being able to act on it because their countries are at odds. Victoria Clark, that's the queen. Yes, Victoria Clark. And then I know he's A-list, but I want Victor Gruber. Garber? Gruber? What's his last name? What about Treat Williams? Yeah! We're shaping this up. Okay, Lifetime Hallmark, call us. Give us a buzz. No, I think Treat Williams would be a great king. Yeah. Like B-plot love story. Oh, yeah. 100%. Oh, my God. This is a great movie. Okay, and then our next... I can't wait for it to come out. (laughs) Our next one sounds like it's a royal film, but it's not. It's a queen for Christmas, and it's about a drag queen community. See, this is how my brain works, Erin. We're brilliant, especially we're approaching. We're approaching midnight, which is when I'm the most creative and come up with my best ideas. So it is literally two minutes to midnight. <laughs> I know. Uh, and so, Hallmark Lifetime, if you're listening and you want one of the, more of these ideas, Erin's going to tell you where you can reach out to us. Oh yes, you can find us on Instagram at Lifetime Sentence, on Twitter at Life Sentence Pod. You can. Uh, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash lifetime sentence. You can email us at lifetime sentence podcast at gmail.com. If you are really lost, you can go to lifetime sentence.com and there is a button to email us. And if you would like to contribute to our creative process, please go to patreon.com slash lifetime sentence. Absolutely. Um, and that was real fast. Like that was really efficient. Look at us. Look at you. I did nothing. I just, told you to do something and you did it well midnight is my time as well gotcha all right well until next time and we will not be back next week so i guess until 2021 okay so it'll be 2021 it'll be our 100th episode and and it'll be our two-year anniversary our second anniversary god we who would have thought we would make it this far are we gonna tell the people what what we're gonna do no, because we never settled. Oh, we did. Okay. I agree with you. Okay. Then I'm down if you're down. So we're going to do John Benet Ramsey. The case that I remember the most, I think I've mentioned before, OJ Simpson and John Benet are the, because they happened so close together in my recollection, those were the cases that started it for me. Um, I will go ahead and throw out a controversial opinion to get your uh, engine running. I'm taking my headphones off because I know it. You've already told me this opinion. (laughs) I don't think Burke did it. I think you're wrong. And that's why we're going to have. In fact, um, we're going to now select a jury of 10 listeners and you get to decide which one of us is right. And we will settle this once and for all. (laughs) I think, okay, first of all, it's going to be a really long episode. So get ready. I mean, this Um, one's two hours and 20 minutes. So it is. So it's, it's fine. You're going to be fine. Um, it's going to be a really long episode, but also like, it's going to be interesting because I have done probably just as much research as you have. And yeah. so, um, we're, it's going to be very balanced. Yes. So. Yeah. And in fact, this might be one I would be down with not even watching the lifetime movie. If we just wanted to talk about the case. Oh, I got to do the movie. Okay. If that's our thing, but I, I'll keep it. Sure. I don't. Yeah, we'll see. We'll okay. See we'll see how it plays out. But We've, yeah. So. But 
for those of you who've been around since the beginning, we appreciate you. For those of you who discovered us oh later, God. we are so grateful for you. Yes. This community has been amazing to us over the past two years, and we can't wait to start a new year with you guys. We can't. And listen, 2020 was rough for all of us. And so I want to especially thank you all for hanging in there with us through the good times and the very, very bad. We both went through some really dark shit this year. So this I was, appreciate y'all sticking it out. It was probably one of the hardest years of my life. So. This year was the most depressed I've been since. Um, th- so my TikTok that I mentioned was the kickoff of the first time I had a depressive episode that was so bad. I should have been like hospitalized. And since then, this year was the next time that that's ever happened to me. So it's been a it's been a rough year, and we appreciate the love and support and I, of look, you guys. I've been keeping my therapist in business, and now I'm going to maybe write a book about it. So that's exciting. I'm also excited. We're both writing. Like we've started new ventures as far as our writing goes right now. Yeah. Like I think we're hitting a very fruitful part of our. Yeah, lives. I started writing last year around this time, and and then 2020 came, and I was like, oh fuck this. Yeah. So And now I've come back around, so we'll see what happens. And so at the expense of going any longer, I <laughs> cannot beg you this any louder. Don't forget to eat your vegetables. Oh my god, charge your phone. Bye. Bye. This has been Lifetime Sentence, where the truth really is stranger than fiction. Thanks for listening.